This is the problem, man. Yeah. I know what I do, but it's got to be your call. Okay. Give me a seven iron. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps hello everybody i am josh wiggler and i am joined here by the man who has uh we have both issued several mulligans on the frozen donkey wheel rules on down the hatch along the way mike bloom uh very weird to see you in uh golf shorts listen i came from connecticut i was born in golf shorts but I apologize. I might be speaking a bit too much English here. Let me just say bonjour to you, Josh. <laughs> oh no! I'm as multilingual as Danielle Russo. Oh my God! You're just you're just you're, you're picking. You have too much time on your hands. How are you learning Korean and French? What other languages are you going to be well, learning? Well, I, I have been up a bit. You know, I, I unfortunately do have a sick little baby this week, though. Now, oh, in no, respect, sickness. I'm, I'm very much grateful that I did not hire Danielle Rousseau as a babysitter now, considering that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. She just uh, she wouldn't be babysitter for long. Yeah. Uh, very, very low threshold for tolerance of disease. Well, either that or she'd outright take the baby, knowing her actions in <laughs> Exodus. <laughs> true, true, true. One one way or the other, it's really not great either either way. Uh, okay, so we're talking about sicknesses. We're talking about golf. We're talking Danielle Russo. Mira Fulan is making her debut here on Lost in this week's episode, the first ever Saeed Jarrah episode of Lost. Solitary. And no, that is not the confinement uh, although there's a little bit of confinement in this episode, it's not the card game either, but there are games to be played, and it's a fabulous episode of Lost, and one of our biggest uh, mythology episodes of Lost so far in the rewatch. I think this is going to be really fun to go through, Mike. Yeah, this is an episode where, time and time again, when I revisit Lost or rewatch Lost, I think, especially in season one, you remember a lot of the marquee episodes episodes like walkabout and uh white rabbit that have those big famous moments in them i feel like solitary gets passed over a bit but to your point i love this episode not to hop too much to the 4.2 stars of it all but i feel like it's a great lost episode and that it really has that perfect mixture of all the things that i love about lost it's a cocktail of that mythology that's you know teasing out without being too cloying or being too, too confusing. We have some character stuff mixed in there and that we finally find out a bit about Saeed's past and how he might be more emotionally connected to his job in a different way than we first thought. And it's got a hell of a B-plot, too. There's a little bit of com- there's comedy, there's a little bit of drama, and there's a hell of a lot of good television going on here. It's a super fun episode of Lost, and it's also an intense episode of Lost. It's a great character study. Um, seeing some of the, the ratings coming through from the audience here uh, as we are assembling our stars, I was shocked 
at how uh, how low some people had rated. Well, Josh, I mean, episode. my my only logic is that this is the golf episode, and the lower the score is, the better it is, right? Oh, maybe that might be how it works. You might be right on that. Uh, but not to spoil anything, uh, as many people has tried to sabotage the score on Solitary as possible. Uh, Solitary is doing just fine in the four point two stars section and i think that we are going to both be very high on this episode as well i'm allowed to say that now uh that uh we are no longer dealing with the moth yeah and i think you and i might still be feeling a high because josh what a week for both of us we are still both reeling from the events of new york comic-con you and i got to meet up a couple times in person uh we spent a good hour last friday wandering the floor of new york comic-con accidentally because we were trying to look for a place to pick up passes and a man <laughs> yeah. dressed up as solid snake led us in the wrong direction completely that was so annoying <laughs> we were go- we were busy mapping out the floor of new york comic-con we were wandering the beach we were solitary yeah. essentially yeah it's not impossible that people just like saw you and i wandering around new york comic-con uh on a on a Completely friday befuddled. <laughs> yeah we were just like very uh, very harried and not sure what to do but we had a we had a great time Mike and I were were at New York Comic Con. We were uh, we were both covering uh, the Watchmen premiere. There was the premiere of the first episode of Damon Lindelof's Watchmen, his latest television endeavor. Mike and I have both seen the first episode uh, alongside a huge room full of attendees at New York Comic Con. We are uh, prevented from saying anything specific about the show, but I feel very comfortable saying I loved it, and yeah. I and Regina King is amazing oh. and mesmerizing. Uh, and, uh, I'm thrilled that that show is happening. Uh, I was very nervous about it, but having seen what I've seen, I'm really, really pumped up for it. It was a lot of fun. It was very different than I think anything I expected, nor anybody in that crowd expected, given the events of the first episode. I'm, we will certainly be able to get into it later down the line, but as part of that coverage, I know we also got to both, uh, attend some press roundtables with not only the cast, but Josh, you and I got to interview the man himself behind this podcast. And we're not talking about Rob Cesarino. We're talking about <laughs> Damon Lindelof. I know. Got to see him in person and talk with him and look at him in the eyes. And he looked back. It was crazy. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. Mike's roundtable interview. That's already posted on CBR.com. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It's a very non-spoilery, but he talks a bit about his own process in adapting Watchmen. He very much talks about... Uh, the tender care he gives to the concept of Watchmen as a big fan. I know that he's, uh, you know, there's some irate fans or at least very, uh, very tentative fans approaching this, given the the love of the source material. And he acknowledges all that fan acclaim and why he ended up posting a huge manifesto on his Instagram that really was a love letter to the fans talking about what his plan was for it. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, My coverage with him is going to be going up on The Hollywood Reporter in the not terribly distant future. I mentioned this on the Mr. Robot podcast, but in case you don't uh, listen to that podcast or don't watch that show and you haven't heard the news yet, there is not going to be a dedicated Watchmen podcast here on Post Show Recaps, but there will be a dedicated Watchmen podcast on Series Regular, which is my Hollywood Reporter podcast. I am going to be co-hosting that alongside the great Antonio Mazzaro, who is joining me at THR, where we are going to be talking about Watchmen each and every week. So if you've not subscribed to Series Regular already, I I humbly ask that you do. I think we're going to have really, really fun conversations about that show and bringing that big leftovers energy 
that Antonio and I have been have been hoping to infuse into a new Damon Lindelof project for quite some time now. We are going to be bringing that over to the Hollywood Reporter, so we're both very excited about that. Mike, I think it would be fun if once Watchmen kicks up, if people want us to, uh, maybe you and I can like dedicate a section at the very end of the Down the Hatch podcasts moving forward to uh, like a quick discussion of an episode of Watchmen. Um, no promises, yeah. and certainly if we get enough feedback from people being like, yeah, no, not interested, uh, then we don't have to do that. Well, especially because uh, I believe by the time the Watchmen pilot airs, we're starting to get into the uh, all the best cowboys have daddy issues slash whatever the case may be territory, in which case we might be saying a corner dedicated to talking about a Lindelof adjacent show might be a nice salve in that moment. Yeah, maybe for whatever the case may be, especially because woof. Oh, oh God. All right. So we <laughs> sounds like you're being tortured. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got time to talk about that. But let's talk about Lost. Let's talk about Saeed. Let's talk about Solitary. We are going to go through the episode. We shall go forth into the jungle. No, you have to say uh, we should go forth. Yeah, go forth into the jungle. Uh, as we're going to talk about Saeed, we're going to talk about the golf course that Hurley has designed. We are going to get into the 15, 16 others section, which this week is largely dominated by the Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell, who has a lot of production notes uh, for us to chew on. So we will chew on all of that. But of course, we want your feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, we record these podcasts on Tuesdays. So if you can get your feedback in by Monday evenings, that is greatly appreciated uh and if you have not yet done so please do subscribe to the down the hatch podcast and leave your ratings and reviews as we are always hoping to attract new people to the island mike with all of that said let us get into it let's talk about solitary comes from director i'm gonna botch the pronunciation of this name greg yaitanes okay sounds good yaitanes yaitanes i'm a utini as the jawas may say uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but he's also the, the director of Special, the Michael Dawson episode that is coming up in a few weeks' time. Uh, also the director of He's Our You, another Saeed episode yeah, from much say, deeper. Bit, you have to say a bit of a time skip, but you're like, oh, there's another Saeed episode? Great, let me come back f- four years later out of the bullpen here. Yeah, I think I've, I've said this on Lost Lives podcasts in the past. Uh, I don't know that I've gotten the chance to say it here on Down the Hatch, but He's Are You, the season five Saeed episode, is one of like my secret stealth favorite episodes of Lost. I freaking love that episode. And very stealthy in honor of Saeed's short-lived career off the island. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Greg Gaitanes also has directed. I swear, I'm, I'm botching the pronunciation of that name. <laughs> You're drawing more attention that. to it. Yeah, Gaitanes yeah. uh, is apparently uh, an angel investor in Twitter, according really? to his Wikipedia page. Ooh, I don't know how to feel about that. And so, like, like, now I you, really have, feel like I should know this person. And, and also, I'm, like, like, listen, uh, Greggy, uh, Mr. Yaya, if you have uh, some stake in the game of Twitter. You might want to step in and, and talk to your friend Jack about some things going on. There's some stuff. There's a Jack. There's some stuff that's going on. Uh, Solitary was written by David Fury. We've talked about David Fury, uh, writer of Walkabout. So great pedigree coming into Solitary. It's no surprise that this episode is such a knockout in our books. It originally aired November 17th, 2004. It focuses on Saeed Jarrah. Uh, and this is what the series Bible has to say about Saeed. Uh, Let's see what gets capitalized, Mike. Here we go. Uh, A romantic forced into the guise of a soldier. Saeed was drafted into the Iraqi Republican Guard just shy of his 20th birthday. 
Unable to stomach the moral ambiguity of his duties, Saeed deserted during the first Gulf War and defected to Australia. The most difficult part of Saeed's relocation has been his 13-year separation from the love of his life, Talia? What? Saeed <laughs> okay. is courting so many women. First Nadia, oh first Shannon, and now this, this mysterious Talia. Although they have corresponded by letter, the prospect of seeing each other did not seem possible until Talia's family fled to Los Angeles after Iraq's recent liberation, mm. quote-unquote. The sad irony, Saeed was on his way to ask for her hand in marriage when the plane went down. On the island, Saeed's technological skills, combined with his desire to seek and present the truth, will put him in an invaluable and sometimes precarious position. Of all the castaways, his desire to get off the island is the strongest because it is driven by the noblest cause. Love! <laughs> That's the capitalized word. Thank you, Series Bible, for reminding us what the strongest desire might be. V- Love! Oh it's my love. goodness. So 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 many spot the differences here if we're going into like the highlights for kids at your dentist office side of things. Uh so obviously there's Talia, who is not uh, non-existent in the real loss. Also, you know, Saeed's uh Saeed deserting. I mean, at the very end of this episode, he's purposely not going to desert due to possible repercussions in his family uh in Saddam's Iraq at that point. So yeah, Saeed is not a, a deserter living in Australia and lost. Uh, in fact, he pretty much, I mean, I, I guess Nadia slash Talia is the reason why he goes to Australia, but his fate is still very much tied in with the Republican Guard by the time he ends up going down to Sydney. Yeah, but I think that they end up coming up with a better uh, a better story for Saeed. But I think that like the, the, the basic central thrust behind Saeed Jarrah is already here on the table Uh, You know, we've talked about how he's like the most romantic character on the show at this point. And it is no coincidence that L-O-V-E in big capital letters here uh, is the cornerstone of Saeed. I think that they've come up with a better love story for him with the Nadia of it all. Um, We will officially have to start getting into the longer (laughs) ramifications of Saeed's love story in the grand scheme of lost listen if we are able to change hearts and minds our own uh most importantly i think along (laughs) the way here in down the hatch about the resolution of the saeed storyline that would be a miracle mike i'm not exactly expecting it um but i am open to it i am uh, my heart is open the whole reason for this exercise mike is for uh for us to have a good time and open ourselves to lost so maybe we will be able to find some joy in the ultimate direction for Saeed. But I, I like that that's here. Um, and I and I like this sentence uh, of all the castaways, his desire to get off the island is the strongest because it is driven by the noblest cause, love. Um, not only foundational to Saeed, but I think clearly like a seminal idea running through the veins of Lost overall. Like at, mm. at, at the very end of the day, at the very end of this series, that idea is top of mind, is that you're, you know, it really is live together, die alone. It really is love together, die, then move on to some sort of strange, surreal afterlife place together again. Yeah, but that's a little less uh, clippy. You know, it doesn't have as much of a hook to it. Gotta it's interesting that you yeah. say that, you know, that both you and the series Bible say that Saeed is the most romantic character because obviously in hindsight, we know that. But one of the many things I love about Solitary that we're going to get into is that 
We did not know that about Saeed going into the events of Solitaire. You know, I think we'd assume that he had a little bit of a puppy dog crush on Kate because they were working together on a bunch of stuff. But up to this point, Saeed has just been the professor of this, the darkest episode of Gilligan's Island that you've ever seen. Where, you know, he's helping fix the transmitter. He was the one that was leading the the trek to the beacon. He's somebody who is just very technologically adept. We saw him longingly stare at a photo but, you know, I think the most emotion we really got out of him was the regret he felt after torturing Sawyer last episode. And one of the reasons that I really love this is because this episode really does reveal a different side of this character that is going to be so fundamental to our understanding of him and the subsequent writing of him from here on out. For sure. All right. Well, let's get into the episode proper. Let's summarize Solitary with the assistance of eight sounds and it's not a sound that we have available and i kind of regret that we don't um but the episode like there's there's very little dialogue at the at the jump of the episode it's a lot of the great beautiful michael giacchino score and some of the themes that circle naveen andrews as saeed uh are starting to play out as he's alone he's on the beach he's staring at his photo of nadia uh, it's just like an abs- it's an absurdly beautiful imagery of the island, and just the score underneath it is is remarkable. But it then takes like this like haunting turn mm. as he's walking further along the beach, and he winds up discovering this cable, this wire that is uh, that is going from the ocean into the jungle. And little did we know at the time, Mike, how important this cable was going to be. That this is, of course. Uh, going to be what connects us later on in the show to the Looking Glass station and is going to take us to, we're talking about the most romantic character of Lost at this point, and we're talking about a different kind of like heartache uh, that will come of the Looking Glass uh, some episodes on from this point. Do you think if he had severed the cable there, we would have heard from the ocean like, Kirk, can you plug that back in? <laughs> Excuse me! I, I was showering down here! <laughs> yeah, Don't make me shoot uh, you with a harpoon gun! I know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if at this point, I don't, was the, is the looking glass turned off at this point? Oh, yeah, I couldn't remember when those two women ended up stationing themselves down there. Uh, gosh, Bonnie and the name of the other one who I am blanking right. on right now. Yeah, that's not good. It's not good. Um, all right, so we go to, uh, <laughs> I just got what you said. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said great, and I was like, "Yeah, I thought funny you know, and great." <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy that I that I missed it too. Uh, we go from Saeed, who is who is now going to march forward into the jungle to pursue the cable uh, to the beach, and Saeed's getting his bandage changed, and Jack's changing the bandage, and so, uh, Sawyer's like, "Why are you Why are you doing this? Why are you even bothering to change my bandages? Because you feel so guilty." Because uh, you came, because you stabbed me in the arm. He's such a whiny little baby about the whole thing. Yeah, uh, and Sawyer's so so going to have his redemption here. And look, we found out much more about his character last week, and it earned us a karmic balance, I suppose, and an MVP point and an LVP point simultaneously. But yeah, definitely not starting off on a good note. I do realize that, yes, he was stabbed in a major artery and could have very easily died were the doctor not immediately there at the time approving of the torture, but you don't need to rub it in yes, too, too for much. It. He asked for it at this point. And the way that he's talking to Jack, it's so wambulancy. Uh he's like, Oh, you guys always are such a, you're so mean to me, Sawyer. Well, screw you, you suck. And he's just like very debate me. Yeah, I mean, like, it was it was very much bit. like, Well, I didn't want to hang out with you anyway. Exactly. You know? exactly. I have a, I have a question though, because you know, Jack's obviously patching Sawyer up by the beach. 
Josh, what do you think at this point is the capital of the survivors? Is it the cave or is it the beach, considering how transient it is? You know, I, I learned very recently that uh, Canada's original capital was supposed to be Toronto, but it was so close to the, the American-Canadian border, and this was during the War of 1812 when a lot of stuff was going down in this country, so they decided to move it to Ottawa. Do, could that be a very similar reasoning as to why the capital is officially the case, but the more populous area is the beach? Are they, are they, um, are they not two different nations slightly at war? Um, mm, I, like, I guess, do, do they have dual citizenship then? Because like, Jack can very easily <laughs> yeah. cross between without any sort of uh, having to you know, provide inventory or provide identification. I think ultimately the beach is what's going to endure, right? Like they're eventually going to just totally give up on the caves. Well, I feel like uh, they both get askew in favor of the hatch. Yeah, but then the hatch blows up and they're still at the beach. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting. What's the capital of the island uh, is, a, is a good question. I'd love to get some, uh, some, some of you guys engaging in that in the feedback. Um, Jack ultimately tells Sawyer, I'm here because no one else wants anything to do with you. Uh, I like the way he says that. Uh, and then Sawyer says, oh, yeah, well, she does. It gives him a real smirky, smirk, smirk face. If I were Jack, and- I would have just, like, opened the artery back up right there. Like, oh, no, you're bleeding again. Sorry. I'm not going to yeah. help you. <laughs> I would have just, like, leaned in, stared him directly in the eye, unwrapped the bandage, and just, like, stuck my finger in the hole. Ooh. That's what I would have done. Yeah. That's how sadistic I would have been about the whole thing. I don't think that I would have You're no better than Saeed, Josh. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Jack is, uh, he's annoyed about the whole thing. Uh, he's going to leave, he's going to leave Sawyer behind, change your own bandages, he tells him. Speaking uh, of changing, if, uh, did you like Kate's booger cr- green top that she was wearing this episode? I guess I didn't really notice that it was booger green. Uh, it was like, kind of like a, like a, a little bit more of like an olive color to me. Yeah, maybe that says something about us, that you went with olive and I went with booger green. It looked a lot like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, like that familiar type of green. I can see that. That I can see. She was wearing an outfit akin to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Jack's going to go up to Kate. Uh, She seems very concerned. Saeed took off. Two days have passed. Uh, So this is the longest jump in time between episodes thus far. Two days have passed since Saeed went off. Kate's still looking for him. Jack says, don't worry, he's a trained soldier. He's going to be fine. Uh, and we go into the jungle, and Saeed is not fine because he's following the cable, and uh, he gets to a tripwire, and he like steps over the tripwire very carefully. Seems like he's doing his due diligence, but not so carefully that he doesn't just end up getting caught in a net anyway. First time someone's uh, getting caught in a net? I mean, if you get caught in the net by yourself, that's when things get really interesting. Sometimes you have to get caught in a net by yourself. You know, let's not shame yeah. people for the way. Yeah, you know. but but you got to make sure you keep your privacy. You know, when you do yeah. so, like leave this is fairly alone. You know, yeah, like but like leave your backpack in the immediate vicinity, so if people walk in, they know that you're caught in the net and to okay, not necessarily okay. barge in in a, a really vulnerable moment. I get the sense that Rousseau would not mind walking in on Saeed being alone, caught in a net. She seems a little funky in this regard. Yeah, uh, she doesn't necessarily she, have the best tact when it comes to roommate policies, considering that she has had none for quite some time. Yeah, she's been alone in the net for quite a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lots, a lot of net remnants, I'm assuming, located around, <laughs> over the, around her lair. Oh, no. Oh, God. All right. We don't have to go too much further <laughs> into this. 
Uh, but it took a very strange turn. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. We just went in a completely weird direction. Oh, no. Uh, well, Saeed's caught in a net, actually. Uh, and he is going to end up, like, skewering uh, his leg on a piece of wood. Yes. Uh, and then I, he's... I would like to call that the revenge of the reed. Yes, the reed, the reed strikes back. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that's the 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 open of the of the episode. Uh, we go to the lost title card, and then when we come back, it's nighttime. Saeed's praying to himself. He's a little delirious. He's passing in and out of consciousness, uh, and then he hears some some footsteps. Uh, and Saeed is breathing very heavily, and he calls out to the night, "Hello." Uh, which is a nice contrast to the good morning from yeah. last week. Well, he week. definitely is in a, in a less powerful position then. And I guess hanging upside down might also uh, limit your vocabulary. So I think maybe all I could just think of was hello in that moment. Yeah. Uh, and he gets cut down and a shadowy figure emerges. Of course, we know who this is. It is Danielle. Danielle. Uh, and he passes out before she can get to him. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of mystery around Danielle to the point where even in the first few seconds of, you know, the the interrogation stuff going on with Saeed, she's still going to be a shadowy figure, like she was riding someone out up for a Dateline story and doesn't want to be seen. But knowing it in hindsight, it's it's still fun to get this reveal. We'll get into it later on in the episode, but I, I like how they lead up to this very slowly. All right, so back at the caves, Jack is uh, in full-on doctor mode. Uh, he's treating this guy named Sullivan. Uh, Sullivan, uh, who's got the, the the hair and the glasses and the hives, and he's just a, a very obnoxious mess, this man. Yeah, I like to call him hypochondriac Harry Potter, because he has his glasses. <laughs> kind of. Uh, but he's just like, he's just like, he's like, oh, God, I feel terrible. I don't know, the, the hives, am I going to die? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I don't mean to, you know, be victim shaming this guy. He did crash on an island like two weeks earlier. The whole thing is a little terrifying. And that's the argument that Hurley is ultimately going to make because Sun rubs some aloe on Sullivan. And he's like, aloe, isn't this for like sunburns? That's not what I've got. It's like, dude, don't complain to, to Nurse Quan, okay? Yeah, I, I also, it's so interesting, honestly, looking back as well, because we're going to have Rousseau talk about the quote unquote sickness. And obviously, we know what the sickness is. But I wonder, do we think Sullivan was put in there as a bit of a red herring from David Fury as to what the sickness might be? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that the fact that there is a storyline running in this episode where uh, somebody is complaining about getting sick uh, and you contrast that to Rousseau's story about everybody that she was with came down with this sickness um, we should be feeling fairly paranoid about the possibility of infection on the island right now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's all very, very deliberate and intentional. And I would imagine at this point uh, the writers don't fully know what that's going to be yet. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a good little while before they know that the sickness is actually just like falling under the spell of the smoke monster. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, that's going to be on their minds. And I would also say that, you know, I'm very surprised that this was given to a new character instead of Boone and Shannon, considering the events of last episode. Yeah. Well, I think Shannon's through, you know, she's through the worst of it now, uh, for now. Uh, and I think, uh, Boone's gotten a beat down as well. And they just need to give, uh, 
give somebody a break. And I think that they also probably want to be introducing the idea of being able to pull from the background a little bit because that's mm. going to help, um, you know, ramp the Ethan reveal for for next week. I think it makes it a little bit easier that in this episode, it's not just Ethan who you're getting to meet here. You're also meeting Sullivan. Uh, so you're starting to expand the cast of the Oceanic survivors to a certain degree. I think that that's pretty smart, actually. Now I'm imagining next episode's cliffhanger of Claire and Charlie standing in the rain staring at Sullivan and that he was the other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello there. Have you seen Jack? Oh, my rash is really active. Now, now it's the size of a cantaloupe. Yeah, suddenly I think that somehow that that's just a little bit less intimidating. It eliminates Uh, the sting. It's a real aloe to that reveal. um, But so Hurley's like laughing at Jack because Jack's advice to Sullivan is try to keep your mind off of it. And Hurley's like, keep your mind off of it? Are you kidding me? And that leads us to the first sound that we will pull from this episode. A great scene between Hurley and Jack. Dude, I'm just saying it'd be sweet if we could have... I don't know, something to do. We're surviving here, Hurley. And that's my main concern, is keeping us alive. Things could be worse. How? <laughs> How? I just love, I love Jorge Garcia's read of that line. Like, it sounds almost like a bird, almost like he was impersonating a Hurley bird, but I don't know what... What possibly moved him to say how like that? But it's so delightful. It's exceptionally great. It's so delightful. Uh, And I love this. So this episode is great for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the golf course stuff that we're going to get into is so fun and whimsical. And if you know me at all by now, uh, in terms of my feelings on Lost, I love it when this show gets whimsical. And I love when it's just enjoying itself. And the golf course is a great example of that. But I think that this is an episode that gains power in the hindsight of mm. the full context of the series. Uh, cause Jack is going to be leader man for so much of this thing. Uh, you know, he's going to be the guy who, who takes the cup from Jacob in the penultimate episode of the whole series and is leading the island through its most intense crisis and he dies for it. But before he dies, he hands it off to Hurley, who's going to now carry the carry the ball to the end of the line and create the the, the way and shape of, of the society of the island moving forward. So when when you go back and you watch watch Lost, knowing that it's ultimately going to end with Hurley as the man in charge, you need to start like looking for like what is Hurley's leadership style and what were some of the building blocks along the way that helps inform the idea of like what the island might look like after we are no longer allowed to visit it, right? Like we are no longer allowed to see it because the show ends. And I think that the dynamic between Jack and Hurley in this episode is highly uh, illustrative of that, Mm. Um, where Jack is saying, I just want to keep everybody alive. And Hurley is like, Cool, but being alive is not enough if you're not living. We need to like be able to take our minds off of this stuff. So let's build a freaking golf course. <laughs> yeah, I think they both represent heart in a different way. Jack is more of the anatomical heart of I'm literally keeping this group beating, but Hurley's more of the spiritual heart in that we okay, but we want to, you know, have some emotion invested in it. I mean, he really is the bleeding heart of the series. I know that Saeed's the romantic and When we get to numbers, I'm sure we'll talk about how, at the time, people were so freaking pumped to see a Hurley flashback episode, Uh, especially so late in the season. 
And this storyline is one of them. And this is the first real breakout storyline for Hurley. Usually he's just been used as sort of like a react puppet to all the other stuff that's going on, whether it's with Jack or with Kate, etc. But this is the first time he's really taking initiative. And Jack's going to really vocalize it later on when they say, like, you know, I tried really hard to keep everyone alive and make sure that we survive. He built a golf course and brings everyone together. And to your point, I think it's, I wouldn't say it's as effective a style of leadership because Jack is doing, you know, a lot of dirty work to keep everybody as in stable condition as possible. But Hurley's really a, a very key piece of the puzzle when it comes to well-being. There's physical well-being and then there's emotional well-being. And Hurley is very much providing in that latter category, which makes him a great caretaker later on. 100%. All right. So we go back to Saeed, who's waking up in Rousseau's bunker. We still have not fully seen Rousseau. She's torturing him. Uh, she's asking him, where is Alex? Donde esta Alex? How many of the languages could you understand, Mike? I think she said it about six, which I mean, uh-huh. I guess, you know, the the Russo lair is so interesting to me because it seems like this scene seems entirely different from what we've seen of Lost so far. Because there's electricity, there's car batteries, there's a metal bed frame. Like, it seems like Saeed wandered onto the set of Alias onto another show uh, but I guess it just speaks to how our knowledge of the island is really going to be expanded over the course of this episode. But I guess in that time, Russo also had a nice copy of Rosetta Stone and has just been memorizing all the different phrases for Where's Alex? She's had nothing to do for 16 years, right? So anything that she, like, if she's been able to find uh, different, like, Dharma books, you know, if she's been able to teach herself some stuff. Uh, but Rousseau's such an interesting character because on one level, she's like a super genius, right? And like, it's so impressive that she has survived as long as she has, and she's created this bunker for herself, and it's one of a few bunkers that she has around the island. She knows all these languages. She's part of a science team. And yet she's also like a massive idiot, uh, where like, she's she's like, I've never seen an other before, but I hear them. It's like, how have you literally never seen an other? How is that even possible? Uh, so there's like, there's in some ways Rousseau uh, is like such an enigma to me still. Uh, like the the levels with which like she is like highly competent and then highly incompetent mm. in, in in like seemingly equal measure. Uh, it's just endlessly fascinating. I love this character so much though. She's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're talking about like personal agendas when it comes to this podcast, uh, if I have what if I have my like Lisa Simpson standing in front of a a big screen. I want to show that Danielle Russo is not crazy. And that's a large task. And I will say, I agree that I think this is such an interesting character. She is unfortunately in that category of, wow, they really did her a disservice with basically how they treated her through the latter half of her character life. I think they just sort of, as they were exploring more of the island, she became less and less valuable and less and less mysterious. They're like, okay, her and Carl will die and then we'll kill Alex off a couple of episodes later. Like it's still crazy to think about that this big woman of mystery that gets premiered in this episode and is highly regarded as such a mysterious figure uh, ends up dying in such like a I mean she ends up like dying just at, at one of the random season 4 episodes. It's pretty crazy. But I think that when people call her, you know, the crazy French chick even in the course of the show, I think that the idea of insanity is based uh it's based in a, an assumption of uh, acting illogical. I personally feel like, to your point, whether it's uh, correct logic or not, I feel like everything she does is based in logic. I think you could call her paranoid. 
I think you can call her anxious, both of which are understandable, given what happened to her 16 years ago uh, in various capacities. But I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, despite her unruly hair, her mind is as unruly as, uh, you know, what she's showing to everybody else. Cool. All right. Well, we'll get into that for sure. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to discuss that. Um, I, I love I love Rousseau. Don't get it twisted. I think that she's fantastic. Um, all right. So we get our first flashback of the episode, and it's Saeed as communications officer, uh, as he described himself once upon a time. Uh, and he's torturing a man. He's torturing um, somebody who he needs to get information out of. Uh, and he there's like a, a shift from he starts speaking in English at one point. Yeah. So uh, so, with, the, so with that, that's a fun camera trick that I didn't realize. So our assumption is because they start, yeah, he, like start, he starts the scene talking in Arabic to Falah, I believe. His name is, uh, which I'm assuming he must be very popular during the holidays, considering all the carols about him. Uh, but it pans across his head, and then we have Saeed speaking English. So it's sort of like we're given a universal translator, we're given Danielle Rousseau technology, and we are suddenly right. able to speak Arabic. And if that's the case, why why are they not doing this with the Kwans? <laughs> Please give Yunjin Kim and Daniel Day Kim a break and make them do flashback scenes in English. Well, I, I don't know if Naveen Andrews can, uh, if he's fluent in Arabic, but uh, certainly Yunjin Kim is. And I know that Daniel Day Kim speaks a, a great amount of it. If he's not fluent, I know that there's some debate on the matter, but I'm speaking out of school in, in, in terms of exactly um, the, the specifics behind that. Uh, so I think you'd be asking a lot for Naveen Andrews if he's not a native Arabic speaker to to have to do that a lot. Uh, whereas I think for the for the Kwans and the fact that they're going to be speaking to each other so much, um, you know, I think that that adds so much to to that to those uh, that set of characters. So I'm not that mad at it. And I and I really do like the camera trick. Uh, I, yeah. I think is great. And you know it it just this episode is such a it's great for so many reasons, but it's such a great showcase for Naveen Andrews, who is an outstanding actor uh a really really outstanding actor uh and you know this scene where like there is this level of menace behind him you know beating on this guy and trying to get information out of him but how that switches when you know just a couple of moments later he's outside he's with omar his superior officer who's played by navid negabon who is uh, amal farouk from Legion, oh, if you were yeah. Legion fans. Uh, he was on Homeland as well. Really good actor. Um, and Saeed's getting a promotion, and like his career is going well. And then in walks Nadia. Uh, and like you you know that they've got this childhood connection. And when you know that and you see that first contact between the two of them, just sort of the regression of his tough guy exterior to sort of like this childlike quality on his face. I think is is a really really powerful shift. Yeah, I think I mean you could also pipe in there she goes above it as it tunes out Omar and just like <laughs> like slows things down very like Wayne's World ass. But yeah, Naveen Andrews shows so much emotional vulnerability in these Saeed flashbacks and that's why I love them so much. But again because that's a part of Saeed that we didn't necessarily see and we only really explored his torturous side last episode. And I'm assuming because of that, and also based on his background and given the time period that people would say, like, okay, this is who we know Saeed is. He's a very, you know, he's a very intelligent, but he can be a very dark and aggressive man. But it turns out that, you know, as Nadia is going to point out over the course of this episode, it sort of just has become through osmosis, through him associating with this job. If we're talking about Heart of Darkness, you know, he has witnessed the horror and he has become a part of it. I will also say, maybe this is a hot take, speaking of hot, I think Naveen Andrews might be the most attractive male cast member, for my money. 
Wow. Uh, of all of them, like including people who have yet to arrive. Mm, on the yeah, show. I know. I know Henry and Cusick is really going to be chomping at his heels, but I don't know. Maybe it's that swagger he's got. But I feel like Naveen Andrews is up there. Naveen Andrews is absolutely up there. And I've, I've got a very good friend, uh, K-Pax. I don't know if you're listening, but if you are, I'm talking about you, uh, who is like who adores Saeed and is like head over heels in love with Saeed. He can't blame you. He's incredible. <laughs> he's, he's amazing for every freaking reason, and we will enumerate those reasons as we go. Um, but the flashback ends after Saeed sees Nadia. We go back to the island, uh, and Hurley's just hanging out by the caves, and let's get our first look at Ethan Rom. Uh, he's going to show up with Locke. Uh, they've been hunting. Uh, they're trying to find, I guess, the nighttime is the right time for the hunt. Uh, they're trying to find different sources of protein other than the boar. Uh, people are getting tired of the boar. They're looking for rabbits or, quote-unquote, some other kind of rodent. Uh, and that just sounds appealing. Oh, uh, I, I mean, Loss will be the show that has rodents of unusual size in the jungle, right? Uh, certainly in the Lost RPG in a future episode. We're just, uh, we're, we're writing our own material, essentially, that we're going to Rich have to deal Rich has it. Rich is tracking everything. But, um, um yeah, e- Ethan Rom, more like Ethan Fudd here in his introduction of him just being, apparently he gets brought along because of his expertise in hunting rabbits. Yeah, he's be very quiet. Uh, Ethan Wom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very specific joke. Uh, yeah, so this is the first sighting of Ethan... Uh, and I know that like we've had uh, we've had some some questions about like um, it, shouldn't Ethan be like really freaked out about Locke because he shot Locke once upon a time during like Locke's like time traveling escapades? So Ethan already knows Locke at this point. For me, I can always just like kind of like back explain that as like yeah, that's exactly why Ethan's hanging out with Locke so much right now because like this is so weird. <laughs> this, yeah, and, this and I mean, is actually crazy. And it's interesting because people are like, why is Ethan, you know, not acting like this? But Ethan purposely is a very, I don't know, emotionless character. And that's what makes him so menacing as we're facing the Ethan arc that's going to happen over the next few episodes. Like, I feel like even when we knew him as an other, he wasn't necessarily a ball of sunshine or sadness or really any emotion so maybe on the inside he's feeling all this panic of oh crap this is the guy that you know uh that it's going to eventually i'm gonna eventually run into or i have already run into at this point in time but we're not seeing it on the outside on the outside he's just rabbit hunting ethan he's just rabbit hunting ethan um we also see that uh walt is having trouble falling asleep mr Locke is around he wants to join Locke on a hunt uh, Michael suddenly wakes up. He's like, yeah, no, no way. You're definitely not going with that guy. Uh, so he brings Walt back to bed. Uh, there will be more on that towards the end of this episode. Uh, Locke and Ethan had given some bags to Hurley to look through, and Hurley looks through one of the bags, and uh, he's he's very excited at what he sees. Yeah, and luckily they don't do a Pulp Fiction and just like have a brilliant light on his face, and we see mm-hmm. nothing else of it for the entire series. Yeah. Uh, do you think that it's Marcellus Wallace's soul that's at the heart of the island? Oh, that's why it's like the big glowing gold. If the stuff. series finale was Desmond uncorks the island and Samuel L. Jackson appears and just kicks the man in black's ass, that would have been a pretty amazing finale. That would be pretty, pretty cool if he and John Travolta just roll out of the jungle. 
Well, John Travolta uh, drinking be... a very expensive milkshake as well. Yeah, yes. Uh, both of them eating a Royale with cheese. Uh, all right, we go back to Rousseau's. Uh, Rousseau is just shocking the crap out of Saeed. Uh, and she's about to speak finally. And I feel like it's fair to play a sound for one of the very first extended Rousseau speeches. So let's roll the clip. I'm a survivor of a plane crash. I found a wire on the beach. I followed it. I, th- I thought it might have something to do with the transmission we picked up on the receiver. A recording. A mayday. With a French woman repeating on a loop for 16 years. C'est quelqu'un m'entend, je vous en prie, venez à notre aide. Il les a tués. Il les a tous tués. Sixteen years. Has it really been that long? Yeah. You just happen to hear my distress call? know what you are yes yeah, i that's retribution you get clanged now uh yeah i think saeed uh for the way that he just like ruthlessly knocked out sawyer last week uh comeuppance has come calling for yeah for in saeed. fact feet uppance in terms of standing in the net uh yeah i i mean there's there's so many great things about this first i didn't even realize until listening to this clip that saeed was following a wire and once upon a time he knew a man named omar I think he, there's, a, there's a show he's going to have to check out once he leaves the island. Oh, indeed. I think he'd be very confused, but I think he'd enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. mean, this is this is such a fun introduction. As I mentioned before, she's initially shrouded in darkness. What I love about it is at least my initial assumption before this episode, and I'm assuming the castaway's assumption as well, was that the French woman behind the signal had died. You know, the distress call was very much like everyone else is gone. You know, the others took them, and you'd assume that like this were these were the last words that she recorded before she was taken. And the idea of having that person actually be alive and get revealed as like, oh, this is the person who 16 years ago made that distress call is really cool for so many reasons that it lets us unlock the past of the island. And it's just another part of it. I mean, we should really underline the fact that this is the first time in the show, I guess besides Ethan, that we're meeting somebody who is not on Oceanic Flight 815. And that's a really really big element of the show considering that the first eight episodes were so oriented around how is this group going to survive now we throw in another element of yes they might have to survive the elements but they also might have to survive other people that they don't necessarily know about once they crash there yeah it's a huge development this episode is filled with huge developments this is a very important episode of lost i mean this is a a full like turnkey episode of lost where we're just like unlocking a door that we didn't even know uh existed at this point and you could say that about a lot of lost up to this point um but i think that it's so funny that like the like the existence of another human being living on the island and like like living enough of a life to have a secret underground layer um is almost more startling and surreal than a shriek monster in the jungle or even a polar bear at this point um so this is a it's, it's a very huge moment uh, and it's great to have rousseau in the mix uh, she knocks out saeed after she says i know what you are and the next day when he wakes up he sees that rousseau is rummaging around uh he figures out her name because it's on her jacket 
Uh, I guess she just has a big jacket that says Russo on it. Yeah, I guess all um, those science people are sort of like, that's her varsity science jacket in that it's uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, you did so well on the team. Uh, you know, here's your here's your last name, your letterman's jacket that you can wear around at all the big science conventions. I, also, I was only uh, JV science. I didn't make it to full varsity science. Yeah, I lost out at the science combine. Unfortunately, I could not mix those chemicals together for the life of me. I got bogged down. I also love that Rousseau is like, you're working for Ben Linus. And so he's like, no, that will be in three seasons from now. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, but she says, uh, when, when he asks, like, how do you have all this power? She says the source of the power comes from somewhere else. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not exactly remembering how Rousseau has the power that she uses. Is she, like, siphoning it off from a Dharma station? I want to say so, that she's, like, able to, like, I don't know, siphon it off of the grid that's maybe connecting that, not the cable necessarily, but whatever's connecting the, the Not Dharma terribly stations. important. Well, not also, I mean, important. Jin's, Jin's going to show her the radio tower, which is where she's going to broadcast the signal. Maybe she was able to sort of work backwards from there, you know, after she committed uh, mass There's- murder. <laughs> There's magical electromagnetic energy running through the veins of the island. It could be anywhere. Yeah, you can sure stick an iPhone charger into the ground, and I'm assuming you get a good charge out of it. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so she's saying uh, whoever uh, controls the source of her power, they control it now, she says. You and the others like you. Uh, and she knows Saeed's name as well because she has the envelope. Uh, and the envelope, uh, of course, with the, with the Nadia photo inside of it says Saeed on it. Um, so that is how she knows who he is. And so now they know each other's names and she wants to know more about Nadia. And we are going to find out because we flash back and Saeed is interrogating Noor, who he comes to know as Nadia. And let's play sound number three of the interaction between, uh, these two long lost childhood friends. Noor, I bet you're seeing I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you refuse to cooperate, I'm going to hurt you. Do you understand? Nobody calls me Noor, Saeed. You of all people should know that. What? You don't remember me? Am I so different from the little girl in the schoolyard who used to push you in the mud? Nadia. And your mother would tell my mother, why must you pick on little Saeed? And I'd answer, because he ignores me. You had enough attention with your family's wealth and your charm. Such things matter little to children. But then you always were older than your years. Weren't you, Saeed? Not old enough to understand that being pushed in the mud was a sign of affection. Josh, I think I officially want to put in a, p- a petition for Lil Lost, the story of all these characters as kids, including Saeed's adventures with Nadia on the schoolyard. Okay, so Sammy Kappa, if you were listening to this, we've talked about Sammy Kappa, the phenomenal illustrator Sammy Kappa, who is now indeed illustrating Lost characters. Sammy, if you want to... If you want to do Lost Babies, like a Peanuts gang uh, of Lost, you've got a couple of very eager customers 
Now, at look, least on, on this side of the microphone. We're doing the Muppet Babies approach where it's not that we're going to like make them younger. Because we see the characters when they're young. I want you to literally shrink them down. Like, Look at the show Little Bush. Don't look at it too closely because it's a very bad show. But look at what they did. I want to see like a little Naveen Andrews. You know, and have him run around the schoolyard with Nadia as she mercilessly pushes him in the mud. Though, I don't know, Josh, I know that uh, Saeed's a big romantic, but I feel like I also, especially at a young age, would not necessarily know that getting tormented so much by this person would be equated with uh, romantic affection. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if I was ever pushed in the mud by somebody uh, who had like a secret crush on me. I was pushed in the mud by people who I expect didn't have a crush on me. Um, but I guess that's that's just oh, how. Do you, uh, do you think if if Nadia was was Jack Shepard's mother, she would tell the same thing to him of like, oh, I think those boys just like you. That's why they beat up on you and Scud Farkas. Uh, maybe, yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, but there's a, obviously a lot of history between these two. It's almost as if these two have been connected to each other for their entire lives, uh, and will be forever in this life. Or the next. And, and uh, we also, I, I want to underline here, because she is going to appear. I believe she actually appears or is mentioned in every single season at least once. But Andrea Gabriel, previous Lost Lives guest, Andrea Gabriel, does... Andrea, as she Oh, mentioned. Andrea, I apologize. Yes. Uh, does, a, yes. does an awesome job as Nadia. I believe Nadia is Arabic for, like, vulnerable... But Nadia herself is anything but. She is a badass character in this episode, considering the way that she approaches the interview. And maybe it's because she has a, a personal connection with Saeed. But, uh, you know, the attitude she's going to take later on through her interrogations is nothing short of brave, especially given the very hostile environment that the Republican Guard is providing. Yeah, they just have such a great dynamic. Um, not just Saeed and, and Nadia, but these two actors are just really, really great together. And they're great together from their very first scene. So not unlike the rest of Lost, uh, or so much of Lost, obviously, as we've been talking about it. Um, but yeah, we go through the rest of the in- interrogation scene, and Saeed says, I'm going to have to hurt you if you don't talk. And Nadia's like, yeah, I know the drill. Literally, I know <laughs> the drill. <laughs> like, this is where they pierced my hands. With a drill. This is where they flayed the soles of my feet. Oh, uh, yes. Where Major Bolton got acid. brought in to take care of that feet thing. I mean, it's awful. Obviously, uh, you know, you think about how this maps onto reality and like your stomach churns. Um, but like just, I don't know, like the, the tour, the, the tour of the scars, uh, the Joker would be jealous, I think. Yeah. John Mayer's not singing a song about that anytime. I don't think so. Uh, but they, they leave it there. We go back to the present. Uh, and Rousseau notes that Saeed has a bullet wound on his leg. Uh, and that's because he was a soldier. You were a soldier. Yes, it was, it was a long time ago. Yes. And, uh, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out a bit more about that, obviously. Uh, but it, it's, it, I like these two sort of finding out more about each other. It's a really interesting cat and mouse game where Saeed is held captive, but I still feel like mentally he almost has the edge on Rousseau in that he holds the information that she wants and he knows that even though he doesn't have the information. So they're very delicately revealing details about each other. And that's Saeed's interrogator skills at work. Even though he is the one being interrogated, he's able to turn the tables or the bed frame on her. He's able to keep calm under pressure. Uh, not an easy skill, but Saeed is 
got it. Uh, back at the caves, Michael is like, uh, you know, he, he's really not taken uh, to Walt. No, <laughs> he's too busy episode. drawing sticks. <laughs> Look, no, listen, Michael is doing useful things. Let's not get let's not get it twisted. He's coming up with a bamboo aqueduct that's going to be able to like give them showers and like separate it from the drinking water. Uh, and it's very impressive, like construction ideas, and it's gifted artistry. He was an artist in a previous life, as he's going to go ahead and tell Jack in a little while. Um, but man, really, just not the best dad right now because Walt's like, "Hey, uh, can we do stuff? I'm bored." And Michael's like, "Yeah, go figure out something to do because you need to learn how to entertain yourself." But if you go follow way. Locke, I swear to God. Yeah, that's the one thing you cannot do. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Michael is like, he's playing with the stick, as you say, and Hurley just like runs past him. He's like, gotta, gotta take that. Gonna need that. And everyone's like, Hurley, what are you doing? And Hurley has a great, he just like looks at everybody's like, (laughs) he runs off after laughing. Yeah. Jorge Garcia must have been like on something in the first half of this episode between the how and the laugh. It's just a completely different Hurley. Yeah, he's on fire is what he is because it's just a great Hurley episode. Yeah. You know, blockbuster Hurley episode. Um, All right, so we go back to Rousseau's. Uh, uh, She thinks that Saeed's lying about the plane crash that took him to the island. It's like, how did you not notice that a plane crashed? (laughs) They figured they saw it from Dharmaville. I have a lot of hair. It blocked my ears. There is no way you missed the plane crash. It makes no sense. Maybe maybe, maybe she was questioning her sleeper. own mental stability and was like, okay, maybe she thought it was like set up by the others. You know, like the others staged a plane crash to try to take advantage of her. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> maybe Rousseau would, br- I mean, listen, God bless Rousseau not getting off the island because she would have a hell of a day with conspiracy theories on the internet. You know, maybe she thought that, like, uh, a rodent uh, made it onto the Black Rock and, like, accidentally set off some dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so she went off and she, like, went to the Black Rock and she saw that it was fine and she just didn't think anything else of it. It must have been the wind. It must have been the wind. Uh, so he's, she's like, well, why are you alone if you came on a plane crash? He's like, well, I did something very shameful. Uh, I stabbed a racist in the arm with a knife. <laughs> Uh, and I shoved some reeds in his fingertips, and it wasn't cool. Um, and he's also he's also sad because of Nadia. She's like, where's Nadia? And he's like, well, she's dead. Uh, and that's not exactly true. It will be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just predicting the future. Dead. Yeah, again, exactly. Yeah, like you say, it's a game of cat and mouse. Maybe he's like Eloise, the mouse. Uh, the, the time-traveling mouse uh, of Daniel Faraday. Mm. Uh, and he's, got, he's able to predict what's going to happen to him later on but when he says she's dead because of me Rousseau gets very uncomfortably close to Saeed and she like gets right up in his face and she says I'm so sorry uh and my friend and I who uh, adores Lost uh he and I literally say that to each other in that voice all the time uh anytime we have something that's like awkward that needs uh light apologizing over we'll just look at each other and scrunch up our faces and go I'm so sorry. Well look, I think and we can also all because of Danielle Russo. We can excuse the fact that she hasn't really seen anybody in quite a while as to maybe these social faux pas she's committing, but I I actually really love that moment because you know, if we're going with Saeed's lie here, Russo also had to kill somebody that she loved in a very very painful way due to circumstances that were out of her control. And so I think she really sees 
sympathy in that moment. There's a really complicated emotion that's going across her face when she regards Saeed before that big whisper happens. But I really like the tenderness that she approaches Saeed with. She'll do it again as well when she leaves him in the jungle. She puts her hand on his face. And maybe it's, it's also to like physicalize the intimacy that she now feels with him, which is very one-sided. But considering the history that she's had, especially when somebody says like, yeah, I love someone and then I had to kill them. She's basically like, yeah, samesies. Isn't that bad? Yeah. I mean, it, she really, she, I, I think much like you, Mike, I think she's really feeling Saeed in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. she's coming to, she's coming to realize, especially as she starts to believe that maybe he's not one of them. She's like, oh, maybe it's just like you and me versus the world. And we're going to like Adam and Eve this thing, like the people in the caves. Yeah, exactly. May I introduce you to this net? Um, let's go away from that. Let's go back to the caves. Michael's going to show Jack the drawing of the aqueduct. Jack, very impressed. Uh, Jack and Michael, before they were not friends, were great friends. Uh, and this is a good episode for the friendship between Jack and Michael. Uh, and then Charlie's going to show up and say, hey, we got we to gotta go. Uh, you got to come with me. Something's going on with Hurley. He's very worked up. Uh, and maybe Charlie is like concerned, like, uh, the fumes from the fire the other night are finally kicking in. Yeah. Something oh, somebody, I think somebody threw Hurley. drugs on the fire. I don't know what happened. I'm the rock yeah. god, not the drug no god. Idea. Yeah, no idea who that could be. Uh, but Jack and Michael and Charlie are going to run. They are going to meet up with Hurley in, in the great wide open as Hurley is going to announce his intentions. And let's hear it from the man himself. Sound number four. Welcome. To the first and hopefully last island open. What? It's two holes for now. Three par and no waiting. Early. You built a golf course? Rich idiots fly to tropical islands all the time to whack balls around. All the stuff we got to deal with, man. This is what you've been wasting your time on? Dudes, listen. Our lives suck. Everyone's nerves are stretched to the max. I mean, we're lost on an island. Running from boars and monsters. Freaking polar bears. Polar bears? You didn't hear about the polar bear? Look, all I'm saying is if we're stuck here, then just surviving's not going to cut it. We need some kind of relief, you know? We need some way that we can, you know, have fun. That's right, fun. Or else we're just going to go crazy waiting for the next bad thing to happen. This is the Jurassic Park reboot we need, Josh. No, uh, uh, genuinely. I mean, like, this is, I, I, you joke, but this is, like, what I would love to see from a Lost sequel is, like, what does the island look like after Hurley gets his hands on it? Is there, like, an amusement parkification of the Lost Island that occurs that, like, is born from noble, pure intentions but spirals out of control? Uh, I feel like that would be very in character with the way you got to imagine Hurley would be running things. Yeah. Uh, because, because for him... It it really is like everybody is so why so serious, you know? Like why is everybody just like taking themselves so seriously? Why is nobody concerned at all with cutting tension and trying to find some way to actually uh de-stress uh out here in this so stressful situation? Um so we've already talked a lot about it in uh, our conversations about Hurley in this episode, but I just I love that aspect of him here. And I think it's it's played so well in this moment. Um, the 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 arrival of the island open 
It's just so, so much fun. I will also say that Hurley is also one of those rich idiots. So I know he didn't invest his lotto winnings in uh, golfing, but maybe if he was a little less unlucky with his money, maybe he would have found himself traveling via helicopter to, you know, hit the back nine one day in the future. Look, we have no idea, like, what the the full extent of Hurley's rich adventures have been. Uh, So, like, the likelihood that he knows a bunch of these rich idiots who fly to tropical islands all the time, it's pretty high that he's, like, crossed some of these people at the very least. Yeah, I mean, and if he wanted to make investment, he could have built a golf course on an island and, you know, charged billionaires for it. I feel like there's some opportunities here. I don't know. I, I feel like golfing in an insane tropical paradise actually does have some merit to it, albeit uh, it's very economically based in terms of accessibility, but I would not be poo-pooing this as much as the other guys. And I do love that, you know, it's Charlie and Jack and Michael. Because I feel like Jack and Michael are probably the two biggest naysayers of the entire group at this point. So to have the two biggest negative Nancys get turned on to the most fun thing the island has seen so far and to see them turn from night to day is probably... Uh, a nice stark representation of the effect Hurley has on these people. Back at Russo's, we see the music box, uh, and, and she says, it's a gift. And Sai goes, oh, it's a gift from Alex? And she goes, no, Robert. And I like that That I like that little recurring uh, gag through this episode of Saeed keep trying to like, he keeps trying to figure out who Alex is. And it's always like he never gets a good answer. Yeah. And, and so she like, like yeah, no, this it Alex. basically means like the writers are like, we, we, don't, we don't know. Though I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I feel like is it an exodus that that Alex is outright mentioned as her daughter? I can't remember at this point. Well, in the, in this episode, Rousseau will say uh, Alex was my child, uh, so we'll get the answer. Yeah, uh, but Saeed's just going to keep trying to figure it out, and he just isn't getting the answer that he wants. Uh, he says, "I'm going to fix the music box for you. I'm going to be able to do this. You just have to you have to untie me. This BDSM thing has to stop." Uh, and she's like, all right, but first I have to inject you with some weird goo, some fluid. She just needles him up. Uh, how did, what did she, how did she get the sedative? Did she raid the staff? I mean, I guess that's my assumption. I mean, look, if she's getting free cable off of the cables, I guess that she's getting free supplies out of them as well. Right. Cause I don't know how much do you think she's plundering Dharma's surprise and how much do you think she's just like foraging from the jungle? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination, except for the fact that, like, she says, like, there's no one else on the island except for the others, and I hear them, and I've never seen them. So does she just, like, go full stealth mode, and she, uh, you know, she she just manages, like, to dip in and out of the stations without anybody noticing? Is yeah, I think, I think she's an island squatter. I think she's very much somebody uh-huh. who will just sort of, like, she's the homeless person that'll shamble in if you left your... Your, 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 the dregs of your food are done and then when you get up to leave she'll sort of like siphon through the Dharma trash cans and pick out what's left though the staff has been long abandoned so I think that's uh, pretty easy pickings there at this point I think the staff is still operational oh, okay. um, because uh, Ethan's going to take Char- uh, Claire there so and she's going to go and she's going to find it eventually so maybe she does know to look for the staff uh, I'm just, I, 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 I've never been able to feel like fully uh, confident in like what Russo knows and what Russo does not know. Um, so who who knows what's going on there? But she's she gives Saeed a sedative. She knocks him out. Uh, meanwhile, back at the golf course, uh, the scene occurs that you've already heard earlier in this podcast. Mike, great choice uh, for the cold open <laughs> this week. I thought it was really really fun of uh, Jack and Michael putting their heads together and the whole this is a problem, man. And the show like tricks you into thinking 
that they think what Hurley's doing is uh, terrible and needs to be stopped. But actually, they've just like gone all the way in on the on the island open. It's just such a funny, funny scene. Yeah, and it's going to be the detriment of Michael's relationship with his son. But I do like how on board these two are to the point where Kate is understandably like, really, Jack is good for playing golf. But Sawyer will also point out that it feels like Jack has probably done this a few times beforehand, that it, it reminds him of something nice back home, unlike the yeah. episode. Uh, doctor playing golf. Boy, howdy. Now I've seen everything. What's next? Cop eating a donut. <laughs> oh, Sawyer, don't talk too fast. You're going to be eating donuts in several seasons down the line. Uh, love donuts. Uh, so, and then uh, Rashman shows up. He's like, oh, you guys play golf? Really? <laughs> Can I do it? Can I play it? Everyone's like, no, you've got cooties. Well, I, I also don't understand. He says this, the rash is the size of a grapefruit. Like, do we mean diameter-wise? Do we mean it's protruding from his skin like a bump the size of a grapefruit? Yeah, because if that's the case, Jack as a doctor should be concerned. <laughs> Jack should drop the golf club. But wait, you've got a rash the size of a grapefruit? Like he, but it's like a, probably like an abscess that's filling up with poison. Yeah, exactly. But instead, he's just like, "You're fine. Here, hit some golf balls." And I mean, I don't know. I don't think we see Sullivan ever again. So it might have been something that Jack could have easily treated. But uh, unfortunately, he wanted to get behind his golf game. Yeah, I, I don't think that we ever see Sullivan again. I think this is a one and done so appearance. I think for a head him, cannon. So. I'm pretty sure he died from that rash. Yeah, I think the grape, the grapefruit killed him. <laughs> oh, God, terrible. Uh, also, we glossed over it, but this is uh, one of the great gifts on Twitter from Lost yes. uh, is from this scene where Jack and Michael are together and across the golf course, Hurley and Charlie are dancing around swinging their golf clubs. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it truly is one of the gifts that keeps on giving. Uh, across the golf um, course, is that the, the original name of that season six episode? Yeah, that, that didn't quite pass muster. Could you um, imagine if it's the man in black and Jacob just playing golf and that's an entire episode of that? Please. I want that. That sounds phenomenal. Um, Side's going to wake up. Uh, the sedative wears off. She says it was the only safe way to, to, to move you because she still doesn't fully trust him. Um, and uh, Which is crazy. She, she has hauled Saeed's unconscious body twice. And he's a fit guy, but you have to imagine that's still a lot of heft for her to carry around. Rousseau's jacked, though. If you yeah. look at her arms, like, she's cut. Like, she could probably, yeah, she could lift a polar bear. Yeah. She had to. Um, but, yeah, so she gives him the music box. He's going to work on it, and they're going to start talking. He says, I'll fix the box if you tell me your first name. She says, Danielle. My name is Danielle. And then she reveals her origin of how she came to the island. And let's turn it over to Ms. Rousseau herself. Sound number five. And how did you come to be on this island, Daniel? We were part of a science team. A science team armed with rifles. Was Robert on the team? Yes. And Alex, was he too? Our vessel was three days out of Tahiti when our instruments malfunctioned. Slammed into rocks, ran aground. The hull breached beyond repair. So, we made camp, dug out this temporary shelter. 
temporary. Nearly two months we survived here. Two months before. Your distress signal. The message I heard. You said it killed them all. We were coming back from the Black Rock. It was them. They were the carriers. Who were the carriers? The others. What others? What is the Black Rock? Have you seen other people on this island? No. But I hear them. Out there, in the jungle. They whisper. So, a lot in there uh but oh so much so much, so much. but what I, what I like about it though is it's you know providing some answers but in true lost fashion raising more questions Said's gonna vocalize some of those questions but it's not like it, at this point it's not frustrating you know maybe it's because this is one of the first big mysteries acknowledged but there's this thing of like the sounds you know she said the storm the sounds I'm going to pull out that meme. Could that have been the smoke monster? You know? Yeah. Could those, right. Cause those noises have brought them to the, I know that the sounds uh, they brought there. They initially uh, were, you know, torn asunder because they were trying to pick up the broadcast of what would be the numbers. And that's what's going to lead to the destruction of their ship. Uh, but then of course there's the black rock, which is going to be taken to be a literal landmark until we actually find out what the black rock is. Uh, there's going to this idea of, the whispers and the others, which right after this sound clip, uh, Danielle say so it gives Danielle understandably a very WTF look, and Danielle responds, he gives her like a really shady look yeah. of like, yo, you're crazy, and, and, and she lady. responds like, oh, you think I'm crazy, uh, and it's going to end up being at least sort of confirmed in, in this this last scene, but it really sets up this weird mythos where at least at this moment you're not sure. You know, the weird things have happened on this island. Maybe there are weird whispers going on, and maybe they are from the others. Uh, maybe there is all this stuff going on, but we don't know if it's true or not because we just met this woman and she is portraying at least a bit of behavior that might be attributed to somebody who's mentally unhinged. Yeah, uh, it's it's just it's a ton. And again, just like in terms of like turning that corner on Lost where there's been a lot of like character reveals and stuff and like slow mythology. But this is like at this point, such a burst of mythology uh, that it's that it's really exciting. I still get hung up on Rousseau being like, no, I have not seen other people on this island. If I want to like back justify that at all, I guess she does not fully trust Saeed yet, so she could like keep that to herself that she has seen other mm. people on the island. Uh, but it still bothers me just a little tiny bit. But it's such a minor thing that what are you doing, Wiggler? Stop complaining. This is a great episode of Lost. <laughs> yeah, uh, I also like. I can't remember if it's this one or in another flashback where uh, it's going to go into a flashback but it, it cuts to i think it's omar being like you need to execute her and it's very much one of those one that those fun flashback lines that plays equally well in the past and the present where i think saeed is growing more and more concerned with his captor and the fact that he may not leave this quote-unquote temporary uh habitation alive yeah. No, the flashback that we get here is Saeed's going to go to Nadia. He's brought her some bread. He hopes to bring some fruit later. 
and she wants her to talk, but she only wants to talk about books and the weather. Uh, and she says, my conversation may suffer since I haven't seen either in two weeks. I believe she was reading Watership Down before. <laughs> oh, her. is that your excuse, Josh? <laughs> I'm, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It just hasn't happened. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I think uh, that I, I don't think they talk about what portion of time has passed. But I actually believe that if you look at Saeed's uniform, I believe in the midst of this, I think he gets a promotion from like first lieutenant to major. So I mean, any time could have passed from like a couple of weeks to like maybe even a couple of months, uh, which would make sense given just how haggard Nadia looks. Yet her sarcasm is as vibrant as ever. Yeah, uh, she's still, you know, I, and like it's very easy to see how somebody could fall in love with a person like Nadia uh, for that exact reason of like the calm under pressure, humor under dire circumstances, um, but also like holding true to your values and everything like that that she is exhibiting here. Uh, you would certainly want to spend forever and a day with this woman, um, but you'll take the days that you can get, I guess. Um, back on the island, uh, everybody starts to catch wind of what's going on with the island open. Shannon's sunbathing. Boone comes to her. She, he's like, you're not going to believe what's going on. Uh, she has a funny dig at him, which says, oh, you finally learned how to tie your shoes. Uh, <laughs> I think she, also, I, she also calls him Bonehead later on. Do we need a Shannon nickname counter as well? It'll be short. Uh, but yeah, so Boone says Jack's golfing. Everybody's intrigued. Everybody wants to go. Uh, and that's the, the the moment where Sawyer says, Doc playing golf. Ooh, boy, howdy. Now I've heard everything. What's next? Cop eating a donut. Uh, which I just, obviously, a terrible impression. Uh, but I, I really, I love that from Josh Holloway. Uh, and, I, and I love this moment coming from Confidence Man and him, like, finally like, kind of, like, breaking the awkward silence with Kate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kate being so much more generous to him than she needs to be. Uh, by saying, uh, you know, one outcast to another, here's some advice. Maybe you want to make more of an effort. Uh, to which uh, Sawyer responds, duly noted. Yeah, and I also like Sawyer being like, I'm not too hot on crowds, but man, Sawyer, you're hot in a crowd, and that's yes, why you stand yes. out, buddy boy. Yes, absolutely. All right, so everybody's running off to go check out the golf. Uh, back at Said, he's figured out how to fix the music box. He's gotten it working. Rousseau's very appreciative. Uh, she says, thank you. Thank you so much. Which is another thing my friend and I say to each other. Maybe she, maybe uh, she has a really good inside voice. I guess 16 years of trying to hide out from the others would probably just give you a resting inside voice. Yeah, that could be, <laughs> that could be it. Uh, but then we hear some noise. Uh, we hear some noise that is, uh, gonna occur. There's gonna be a little bit of, uh, conflict that is occurring between uh, Saeed and Rousseau, and a little bit of run-up to the uh, potential arrival of the monster at the door. Let's check in with how this sounds for sound number six. Danielle, please let me go. Go. Back to the people I told you about. You can't. You have to stay. It's not safe. What's safe? What's not safe? You need me. You can't leave. Where are you going? If we're lucky, it's one of the bears. If we're lucky. Might be that thing out there. 
the monster. There's no such thing as monsters. Well, speaking of sound, I love actually the way that clip starts, where I really feel like fixing the music box not only brings the two of them close together, but I feel like it sort of represents Danielle's vulnerability. This is harkening back to a time where she felt safe and she felt love before everything hit the fan. And I think that sort of brings her back to that time. And as soon as she whispers that line and then Saeed says, let me go, you see the hear the music box wind down. And you feel that silence click back in, that deafening silence that she's lived with for 16 years. So it, that's just a really cool little subtle thing in addition to bookending that with uh, all the monstrous roaring that's going on outside. Even though, according to Daniel Russo, there's no such thing as monsters. There's no such thing as monsters. Wrong again. Uh, but it's more man than monster. So we were all wrong, weren't we? Uh, we flash back, and this is when Omar is going to command Saeed to execute Nadia. If they do that, they'll send a message. Uh, they've been working on her for more than a month. Uh, she isn't saying anything, so it's just time to kill her and send the message. Uh, and he says, you got to bring her outside and shoot her, or I will do it. Uh, so Saeed signs on for the job, if only to like buy some time as he tries to scramble and figure out what he's going to do about this. And when he comes down to Nadia, she says, what did you bring me today? And he says, I brought you a bag. <laughs> you need to put this on. There's a book uh, in it. Read it. We can talk about it next yeah, time. There's there's a really... Yeah. I also <laughs> I also like to read. Uh, here, here's a nice weather report. We can discuss this on next meeting. But there's a really interesting moment, though, where Nadia says, you know, are you going to hurt me, Saeed? And just a shadow falls over her. And just when it cuts back to Navine Andrews, you could just see the tears brimming in his eyes. And now we found out that I think to your point, it's less so him being like, oh, my God, I have to kill her more so like crap, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. I need to save her in this moment. I could really be jeopardizing my own life. But the emotion that he's showing in that moment is by far the most we've ever seen from Saeed in nine episodes of Lost. And it's it's a really critical moment, like a, just a quick two-second shot. But I feel like it speaks it speaks about Saeed as a character. It harkens back to that series Bible you description, description you read right there in one shot. It's all about love! Uh, back on the island, Saeed's going to be able to get himself free. He has the screwdriver that he was using to work the music box. He gets himself free. He's limping around all over Russo's place. He scoops up her maps because he's like, oh, this could be useful. Got to figure out what that black rock is. Well, I was going to say, uh, we, we see on the map several times, she sort of has a black scribbled zone. I'm trying to remember, is that like the that's is that like the no-go zone that the, the smoke monster hangs out in? Yeah, dark dark territory. Yes, that's a much better way to describe it. Yeah, I think that's what she said, the dark territory. Uh, so he's going to grab that, he's going to grab her rifle, and then he cheeses it. Uh, and in his haste, Mike, he does leave behind the picture of Nadia. So in the end, maybe Saeed himself wasn't even thinking about her as much as he claimed to. Well, I wonder if this is going to, we're going to get to the clip of him sort of coming to his own sort of realization of, I've been putting myself in a solitary position and I really need to embrace the group. Maybe at some point during this whole scuffle is when he realized it and maybe Nadia was a representation of just the the emotional uh, isolation that he held and how maybe getting rid of that is a symbol of how he's ready to undo that attitude and really embrace the group if he's ever, ever able to limp back to them. So he's going to go off. Meanwhile, we will be at the golf course, and everybody's very impressed with Jack's swing. Even Ethan is in the background. He's got this really awkward clap, if you notice. Oh, uh, that should have... He's, like, sh- doing, like... 
<laughs> it's like the the clap that Pelosi did to Trump in that uh, that infamous moment, which is like clapping down at him. Uh, uh, it's sort of what Ethan is doing sh- towards Jack. They should have noticed that's the other secret clap. Only others were able ah, to do that. Isn't that what Sullivan has? He's got the clap right now. Oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. Maybe grapefruit-sized clap is really... No, no wonder uh, Sullivan doesn't make it out of this episode. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, th- this is where we get the line of mulligan. It's a mulligan. You got to use the It's lingo. a gentleman's sport. It's a gentleman's sport. And Walt shows up and he's like, hey, dad, you literally abandoned me in the caves where someone got trapped in a cave-in on the island where there's monsters and polar bears. And Michael's like, oh, man, yeah, so sorry. But if <laughs> you want to, you me. can swing this golf club and that'll make it up to you, right, son? Yeah, it's like, hey, do you want to skip the line? And Walt's like, no, that's rude. And Michael's like, yeah, you're right. All right, well, I got to play. Oh, God. Michael, what the hell is wrong with you in this? Like, this is, I know that we can empathize a lot with him and his struggles to connect with his son considering their situation. But, dude, you are literally saying right now you care more about playing golf than you do about your son. And I hate to be Mm -hmm. that blunt, but that's literally what you're doing right now. So, yes, you might be building an aqueduct so everyone could have a nice lather up outside of the watering hole. But at the same time, you are telling things your son can't do. And apparently one of those things is bond with you. And that, he really yeah. got on my nerves in this scene. It's not great. It's not great. All right. So, Syed, he's he's up. He's chasing around for Rousseau. He finds her. She's running around. She's got the gun in her hand. And then they end up in a, a little bit of a standoff. Uh, she will not put the gun on the ground. And we know uh, she's got the upper hand here. Ultimately. But I, I love that um, moment, though, because, again, if you're showing us how much of a renegade she is, he says, like, don't make me do this. And all she does is just pick the rifle up and point it right back at him. It's a badass moment. Yeah, she's kind of like, yeah, go ahead. See what happens. <laughs> it's not going to be what I, you think I've it danced is. this dance before, buddy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. And then we flash back, uh, final flashback of the episode uh, as Saeed is going to be walking Nadia, presumably to her death. He's got two guards. He relieves them of duty. He pulls the, the hood off of her uh, and uh, she says there's a supply uh, truck that's leaving. Uh, you got to run to it. It's not going to reach the city for a half an hour. There's enough time to jump out and hide. I cannot come with you. If I desert, they'll kill my family. Uh, and ultimately, uh, Saeed is going to kill for Nadia. Uh, Omar is going to show up. Said's going to have to kill him because Omar is going to interrupt the plan. And Nadia has like written uh, the message on the photo at this point. She's begging Said to run with her. Uh, but instead, Said comes up with the brilliant idea to say that, no, you escaped. You shot him. And then you shot me. Uh, and he shoots himself in the leg, and that's how he got that scar. Mm. And, I, and the gun somewhere off screen, Said tells the story to Michael, and he's like, huh, shoot yourself. And blame someone else for killing someone. This sounds like a great idea. Seems like a good plan. Uh, Jot that down for future ref. Uh, Yeah, deleted scene of how Michael got that idea. Uh, It's pretty badass. Uh, Would it have been better for Saeed to like run off with Nadia specifically? Maybe, but he has the point about what would have happened to his family. That wouldn't have been so great. So uh, if like the choice here is basically... Nadia has to be executed or Nadia has to be set up as a fugitive Richard Kimball style, then perhaps that's the way to go. Yes, uh, though I guess 
I would say Saeed would be the man with the one leg, but he just has a bullet in one of them. Uh, in terms- and the one-armed man is on the eye. Yeah, exactly. Like, so. like, oh, who who did it? No, it wasn't me who shot Omar. It was the man with the bullet in his leg. He's the one. Yeah. Uh, and then they can't find him. Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting moment for Saeed because, I mean, it shows that he will literally kill to, you know, he'll shoot his superior to believe for what he believes in. And I think he really has been buying into a lot of what Nadia has been telling him, which is like, this is not you. You're not the type of person to do that. And I think he's starting to realize, to recognize his own humanity. I think having someone who knows him from outside of Republican guard, Saeed, has reminded him of that facet of himself and how deep down the rabbit hole he's gone in his job and communications. And so I think he's gained a sense of humanity and a sense of himself back here. Uh, But Omar shouldn't have been wrestling Farmer in the Dell or he wouldn't have tipped off that he was coming around the corner. (laughs) Yeah, it really never ends well for Omar, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's a real uh, cursed name. <laughs> yeah, it's the surprise shooting. Uh comes out of nowhere. Uh so yeah, so he kills Omar, Nadia runs, and up until this moment in time at least, it is the last time Said and uh and Nadia have seen each other. Uh on the island, Said says, I don't want to hurt you, Rousseau, and she says, You already have uh and he pulls the trigger. He was going to shoot her, but the firing pin has been removed. Uh, and, you know, are we upset with him for not noticing it? Is that Saeed off his game? I don't think that you can be that uh, mad at him about that, especially I think you got to be fairly impressed with the fact that uh, Rousseau, who had, like, murdered the entire crew that she arrived on the island with, is able to be convinced by Saeed in this moment, like, don't kill me. I'm not sick. I'm not ill. I'm doing just fine. And there are reasons to not go around killing everybody. And let me tell you why. Uh, and that is going to be what we hear next in sound number seven. As Said is going to reveal what Nadia's message said in the photo. And I think that this is very instructive. And I think it is very important for us to pay close attention to what is said. I can't let you go. Don't you understand? To have someone to talk to, to touch. You'll find me in the next life, if not in this one. What? The writing on the back of Nadia's photograph. I know what it's like to hold on to someone. I've been holding on for the past seven years to just a thought. A blind hope that somewhere she is still alive. But the more I hold on, the more I pull away from those around me. The only way of this, this place is with their help. Translation, see you in another life, lover. (laughs) Yeah. Look, what he's saying here is uh, his love for Nadia is holding him back from loving himself, from loving others, not the others, from embracing the greater good, from embracing being part of a larger group, from being able to truly move on and save himself. Is this not an argument in favor of the fact 
that Saeed and Nadia should not end up together in the Flash sideways. I mean, it's a good point. I think that if you're talking about time, searching for a woman you've loved for seven years, I don't know how much it compares to hanging out with a woman, having several picnics for like two months. But I do see your point about how I think from an emotional perspective, uh, he's ready to personally move on. Though, I think what also complicates the matter is that Nadia comes back into his life when he comes out of the island and then they get married. Yeah, true, 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 true. What, what I love about, uh, I mean, this scene I really love, uh, not just because you sort of forget Saeed, where Saeed's sort of mental you know, uh, head is at going into all this as well. But I mean, if we're talking about the title of Solitary, not only does that represent Danielle's sort of isolation from everything, but that's what Saeed did. You know, he talked about purposely leaving the group. He tells Kate, hey, we might not ever see each other again. He is very much a person who is willing to just separate himself saying, okay, I, I know what I'm capable of, time to leave. And now he's realized through this very short journey of, no, I need these people. I need to let go of who I think I am and embrace who I really am, which is how I interact with other people. I had a good thing going before I let the Saeed of old creep back in. And Saeed of old, Nadia included, needs to be forgotten in this moment. It's a really cool epiphany moment for Saeed. There's also some really interesting connections between, you know, when Rousseau reveals that she killed Robert, that, you know, we see in the flashback that Saeed kills Omar and Rousseau kills Robert. Saeed kills someone to let a person escape. Rousseau killed someone to prevent their escape. You know, she killed right. them because she didn't want whatever was going on with them to afflict her or people around the island. It's, it's an interesting, I guess I want to call it parallel because they're very divergent purposes. But I think it's another reason why Rousseau finds a kindred spirit in in uh, Saeed. And just the heartbreak in her voice when she finally tells Saeed of like, I can't let you leave because you're the first person I've had an interaction with and I can't be that lonely again. It's It's a really... Interesting character moment, very, again, vulnerable and supple for someone that we've only known over the course of this episode who just, you know, pointed a rifle in Saeed's face. And Saeed does offer for her to come with them, but it seems like one foot of her is sort of still in the past, is still in that paranoia, so she chooses not to, but this will not be the last time that they freelance with Danielle Rousseau. Correct. Absolutely not. There will be plenty more Rousseau still to come. And Saeed offers her to to come back, and she she turns it down. And she says, the others that you're determined to get back to, you got to watch them, watch them closely. And before she goes, she reveals, Alex was my child. So nice little reveal there. Uh, Back at the golf course, uh, there's all these, everybody's like, it's Charlie versus Jack. Hell of a showdown. Uh, as things are, are coming down to the wire, and everybody's placing bets, Sullivan bets that the that he bets his dinner that the doctor is going to sink the hole. Uh, you know, Sullivan was just like, just, "I don't want boar again, so I'll just bet it." Uh, yeah, he believes that the boar is giving him the rash. Uh, everybody has like all these different bets, and then Sawyer shows up and he says, "I will bet two tubes of sunscreen and a flashlight that Jack chokes." Uh, so basically, in uh, raising reasons for Jack to look like an idiot in front of everybody uh, so that he loses here intentionally so that Sawyer can give up some supplies to the greater populace of the island. To be fair, though, everyone's like, oh, great idea. So maybe Sawyer was just hitting upon an undercurrent of everyone being a little tired of Jack. Though, I will also say Kate being the great sort of like 
I don't know. He he's sort of being like the, the you know the 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 girl that shows the kid around uh, first day of school. Like she's she's very much welcoming Sawyer back in. Boone decides to do it uh, to get Shannon some sunscreen because she's prone to sunbathing. I also will say like I am a. Uh, I'm not going to blame Charlie here. I'm frankly very surprised it got as close to par as possible, considering that there's no shorn turf in this golf course. They're hitting just straight through grass. <laughs> I just love the phrase shorn turf. <laughs> this is the name of our uh, Josh. We're going to our new band name, our new uh, drive yeah. shaft cover band following up a meat coat is going to be Shorn Turf. Shorn Turf. Shorn Turf is a great name for a band, Mike. I think you really arrived at something. Uh, but yeah, so uh, good on Sawyer for showing up here. I think uh, to spoil the the, the 23 points, uh, I feel like uh, Sawyer may have earned some MVP status in this episode as a result of his actions here. Uh, so good for you, Sawyer. And good on Jack, who I think will go a little bit less appreciated, but should uh, be acknowledged here. Uh, you presume that he chokes, right? Like you presume <laughs> that he he loses on purpose. I think what happens is Simon Birch style, he hits the golf ball. It hits poor Mr. Rashaman Sullivan on the go- on the go- the grapefruit, and he dies there in his arms. Oh, God. Jeez. All right. Uh, can- that's canon until proven otherwise. <laughs> Um, Jack hitting the golf ball is juxtaposed with Locke throwing a knife. And for a guy who loves games, I'm really surprised that John Locke is sitting out of the golf tournament. Um, but he's throwing knives. He's having a a blast. And Walt, who's been left unattended, is going to get into the knife throwing game. Yeah, I mean, Locke is now just giving away knives, which I guess he has a whole case full of. But this is the second episode in a row. And he's (laughs) like, you have a problem? Well, looks like a knife can help that. Yeah, knife would be a knife would be nice, uh, and so Walt is going to figure out how to use this thing. The episode is going to end with Saeed is trying to make his way ba- uh, make his way back to the group. He's going through the woods. He's limping around. He's got this huge Gandalf stick in his hand. You shall not pass. Uh, and then he's going to hear something really funky and something that really freaks him out and freaked out a lot of people when we were watching uh, Lost at this point in time back in 2004. And we will play that sound for you now as our final sound before we close out our summary of Solitary. So creepy. creepy. I love this so much. I mean, I know that guys where are we might or, or, you know, the the walkabout reveal might take the cake in terms of endings. But I love how unconventional this is. I feel like the typical lost ending is like big revelation cut to credits. But this is just so I mean, there's no dialogue. It's all sound based. And I love it because we don't know what's going through Saeed's head we can formate our own sort of theories of like, wait a minute, Saeed thought this was blatantly untrue. Now it is. Is he getting sick? 
in which I say just wait like five or so seasons, in which case the answer will be yes. Uh, are the Yes, right? I mean, that's great, uh, knowing what the sickness ultimately is, and Side keeps insisting throughout this episode, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. It's like, yeah, not yet. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, is it, oh, are the others real? You know, who are the Whispers? Uh, we obviously know who the Whispers are now, which we'll certainly have some opinions, especially when we get into the Kevin Johnson of it all, as to uh, the source of the whispers i i don't know do do we think that these are island people or do we think these are people from saeed's life because i know in outlaws uh frank australian frank is going to be one of the whispers to sawyer do we think these are maybe some of the because theoretically these could be some of the people that saeed has tortured and killed in his life that have not been able to move on yeah i mean i guess i always just assumed that they were people who had died on the island um but they they could it could just be like the ghosts of earth gravitate to the island and their whispers continue to haunt the island and like the remnants of their spirits continue to haunt the island i know it's very controversial that the whisperers aren't uh you know part of the others uh that this is uh you know they they've been so closely linked for so long um and I, I still do think it would have been better if they were more overtly connected to the others. I I, I hinted at this in a, a much earlier podcast here on Down the Hatch that I have like found a way in my mind to feel okay about this, which is that the the others and the ghosts that are the source of the whispers work in tandem together. Um and like that like the the others are somehow able through whatever like Whatever stuff we don't know about others' culture, um, to the point that we don't even know what they're actually what they actually call themselves. Uh, like the things that we don't know about their rituals and their practices and their understanding of the island. For me, it's not implausible that they are aware of the ghosts, that they are aware that these whispers are out there, that they have figured out ways to communicate with the sources of the whispers, with the ghosts. Uh, that I mean, in the in the new man in charge, which is the lost epilogue that was created for the DVD, uh, Hurley and Ben are going to come to Walt and say, "Just because your father's dead doesn't mean you can't still help him." Uh, and we know that Michael's spirit is still on the island, and he is part of the whispers. So is it out of the realm of possibility that the others have means of like treating the ghosts, like helping the ghosts Ah. out a little bit, Um, you know, like making it possible that like their their, you know, sort of like purgatorial existences aren't so awful. And as a result, do the whispers do like scouting for the others? Do they help them out with some of this stuff? There's like, yeah, that guy's over there. I could see because I'm a ghost. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, it- I mean, maybe it's sort of like the the Hurley on the other side. I would think, along with that line of thinking, that it connects back to the whole schism of the others versus the hostiles and the purge that sort of merged the two groups together. I could see that theory holding water there, where it's like maybe the hostiles, since they worked more closely with Jacob and more closely to the more natural elements of the island, would have more knowledge as to what the whispers are. And so when they do end up sort of falling in line with the others and becoming at least one sort of semi-cohesive organization, then the others are going to be able to take advantage of those whispers and at least, you know, spread a little bit of paranoia, have a little bit of their own fun uh, with some of these people in terms of deploying some of those whispers to drive them crazy. So that's just like a way that I've been able to like kind of have my cake and eat it too on the whispers. Like to how do you reconcile what Lost's overt answer was that these are ghosts 
with the fact that they were so closely associated with the others. I think that there's enough there that you could thread an answer that that can be satisfying. To me, it's like satisfying enough. It's not the best cake I've ever had, I'll tell you that. Uh, but it's it's enough that I don't think about it and get angry about it the way that I did when it was revealed on the show. I really hated it at the time that it was revealed on the show. And it wasn't until this last rewatch that I did before Down the Hatch that I started to feel better about it. Uh, so that's just how I've been able to live uh, with The Whispers. Um, but that's solitary, Mike. Wow. Yeah, what a way to send us off. Should we be talking Whispers for the rest of the podcast? Yes. No, we should probably talk in, in normal voice. I mean, Rousseau was talking in whispers. I'm so sorry. Uh, although I guess maybe we should, uh, uh, there, we should point out that there's a uh, uh, Lostpedia has transcripts of the whispers. Oh. Uh, so in, in this episode, the whispers are apparently saying uh, there's one voice that says, just let him get out of here. Another says he's seen too much already. Mm. Another says, what if he tells Another one says, we could just speak to him. And then the other one says, no. And that's it. Okay, then my big theory is that this is Rousseau's crew. I think, yeah. I think it would make sense that they were hanging around this area because it was their habit, uh, their habitation. And I think the fact they said, like, he's seen too much might allude to him now learning about what happened to them. And it would make sense that he wouldn't be able to leave the island or that they, they wouldn't be able to move on because they were in a very interesting state uh, speaking of another one-armed man, uh, by the time that Montan, poor Montan, by, by the time that the monster and everything went through them all the way back in the day. All right. Well, with our very normal voices and no whispers whatsoever, let us get going with the rest of this podcast. We've got fifteen, sixteen others to talk about, but first, Mike. We want to thank our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch, our friends over at your favorite and mine, Bet DSI. What a great time of year it is! Oh my gosh. And golf, if you're on the Lost Island. Uh, if you're looking to add some excitement to the game, make BetDSI.com your betting partner. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games until the final whistle. Uh, you don't know how many tubes of sunscreen you can win off of Sawyer until you start using BetDSI. Yeah, he exclusively uses this platform. So if you want to shake Sawyer down, make sure you're on BetDSI. <laughs> I don't know if that is necessarily true, if he's able to access it from the Lost Island, but off-island for sure. Sawyer is an avid user of BetDSI. New members get a 100% bonus match using promo code RECAP101. That's double your money to start winning today. BetDSI, it's been around for a while. We've been paying winners for 20 years. BetDSI is top rated on betting review sites. You can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. Uh, who would you have been betting on in the Island Open, Mike Blue? Gotta be Jack. Again, I feel like experience is going to benefit him here. I know that Charlie apparently has more golf knowledge, but you'd like to feel like no matter what the territory Jack likes to uh, shoot every Sunday, probably, with his dad as they grab some drinks in the clubhouse afterwards. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. So, yeah, it's just an unfair advantage that Jack 
has over on Charlie. But if Jack then chose to choke and everybody had been betting on him originally and suddenly Charlie is the winner, it's a huge upset. And if you've been betting through BetDSI, you would be the big winner. So try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish every play and every minute until the end. So that way, if a Sawyer comes along and radically changes the stakes, you can uh, you can react to it as an active situation. Uh, so it's a reminder that new members are going to get a 100% bonus match using promo code RECAP101. Double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code RECAP101 and get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. How about some feedback, Mike Bloom. Are you ready to hop into it? Absolutely. Let the whispers loose. I'm ready to hear from those around us. All right. Well, we're going to get into a lot on solitary, but first we've got some business to attend to from uh, some leftovers from last week. Not the leftovers. Uh, people who still had some feedback about confidence, man. So let's go with other number one, some people who are looking back at Sawyer. And let's start with your friend in mind, the great Jim Fells, uh, who wrote in and said, at the risk of sounding like I'm locksplaining, I believe that's a man of faith splaining, if I may man of faith splain that for you, Jim. Uh, Sawyer's wow, con this is like Inception. Was, <laughs> Sawyer's con was definitely planned right down to having the alien mom notice the time on the alarm clock. Sawyer pulls the exact same trick using the same lines with Cassidy, and even in the afterlife when he's undercover as a cop, the idea of Miles listening to Sawyer have sex is odd, but apparently that is what happened. Listen, uh, Miles has listened to a lot of weirder stuff than than somebody having sex, so I think it's... Yeah, he's probably heard, like, ghost sex before, so yeah, definitely very, very strange. Yeah, which uh, I'm assuming... The, whis- the, the whispers are not safe around Miles. Yeah, the, I wonder how what percentage of the whispers are bedroom talk. Uh, yeah, uh, probably a lot, probably a decent amount. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not refuting any of that, Jim. Um, I think it's just, I'm trying to understand the mechanics of like how Sawyer figured out how to, uh, like set up the story as like at 3.30 PM is when I have to take the meeting, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep her away from looking at the clock until just the right time. He's, he's a, like this just, is his job, though. I feel like he might have had this down to a science. I'm assuming he's pretty high level, pretty well into the job at this point. It's very, very skilled. Uh, Spike Gelato. What a name. Mm. Spike Gelato wrote in and said, I don't remember when I picked it up on my first watch, but at what point did you realize that Sawyer was running a con in his flashback? Was it as soon as you saw the episode title? Was it when the briefcase fell open? Was it when he was smirking after being called back to the table to lock down the deal? Uh, I think I said last week for me, it was uh, it was it was probably the moment that he walks away from the table and they say like yeah we'll take the money overnight. Yeah, I mean I would say that too, but I was a pretty dumb teenager, so I'd probably say once he got threatened by Mister Kilo at the pool hall, who literally said, "Hey, you're running a con on these people. Make sure you get my money right. back." Maybe that's when I when I had a hunch that this might be a con. Yeah, uh, Tomer writes in and says, confidence man really could have been called whatever the case may be. Uh, also could have been called whatever the enchilada kiss may be. Yes, though that would have probably been the oddest title of them all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there would be anything stranger than that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would be up there with like the Some Like It Hoth in terms of like very head-tilting lost titles. 
Honestly, uh, whatever the enchilada kiss may be is definitely a lot weirder than some like it hoth. <laughs> Just <laughs> un- borderline unusable. And by borderline, I mean objectively unusable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just an unusable episode title. Uh, other number two, uh, one more thing, uh, one more sticking point or a sticky point to discuss from uh, Confidence Man comes our way from Spencer Y, the prolific Spencer Y, with so much feedback on so many other podcasts we do here on Pusher. Recaps first time writing in for the Lost Podcast. Great to hear from you, Spencer. Uh, Spencer writes in and says, I think that I know where Charlie's mason jar for his invisible peanut butter came from. I have the most plausible explanation, as well as a humorous alternate theory. You guys can choose which one would be most appropriate, as whatever you believe will now become officially canon for the show No Pressure. I think that's fine. Uh, We we uh, had Jack kill a guy with a golf ball, so I think we're pretty good in terms of canon. Uh, With that prerequisite, do you want to only read the plausible explanation or the alternate explanation, the humorous one, and which one would you like to go with, Mike? You know me, Josh. We're going with the humorous one. Okay, so the the humorous explanation that Spencer posited was, uh, what if Charlie got the mason jar by having a full-on, completely selfish, dumb and dumber moment? What if Charlie scoured through the jungle and stumbled upon one of those Dharma Initiative food drop pallets prior to these packages being discovered in Season 2? Charlie opens one up and desperately looks for a jar of peanut butter, but among the tremendous amount of foodstuffs available, there is none. In his desperation, Charlie then takes one of the Dharma Initiative food items that happens to be in a mason jar, let's just say dill pickles, and proceeds to eat or throw away all of the pickles, rips off the Dharma label, washes the jar in the ocean, dries it out, and then presents the empty jar to Claire in the scene that we see on the show. Don't forget that Charlie was coming off of drugs in this episode, but that doesn't mean that his judgment couldn't still be impaired. Uh, What do you think about this, Mike? Is it possible that Charlie found himself in a pickle when he couldn't find any peanut butter, but he could find a pickle jar (laughs) that he washed out and passed off as an imaginary mason jar filled with peanut butter? I love this idea of Charlie stumbling (laughs) expose-like, ass-backwards into a Dharma station and being like, all right, he has blinders on. He's only focusing on mason jars around him. Although I guess, wouldn't Claire be like, oh, his peanut butter smells like pickles. What does that mean? Not if he washed it out. Not if he washed it out. Oh, yeah, I out. guess that's true. That it would just uh, smell like the ocean and his grimy-ass fingers, which they themselves might smell like pickles. Uh, but yeah, I do like this idea that maybe that's why Charlie has been so chipper the past couple episodes post-Moth is because he's been eating, not eating the boar. He's got that very diet that everyone else craves so much, and it's because he accidentally, momentarily found something that the others not the others, but the other survivors will not find for quite a number of episodes. I just want to see in like blow by blow detail this whole thing coming together because it's hysterical. I love the idea of Charlie just like finding a jar of pickles and being like, this is going to be it. This is the one. I've got a great idea. I also imagine uh, him good, like promptly grabbing one, but also knocking over at least three while he grabs that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just a, bu- a bunch good, of like good. broken glass and scattered pickles everywhere as he grabs only one mason jar. Yeah, I think it makes sense to me. I'm I'm here for it. I agree that this is now canon, uh, much like Chef Jeff. Uh, All right, let's get into Solitary Proper, and the next several others are coming your way, courtesy of the Ben Behind the Curtain, who's done a lot of production note research uh, into the making of this episode. Other number three, according to the Ben Behind the Curtain, Solitary and Raised by Another were originally going to air in the opposite 
order. This is sourced from the official Lost podcast, April 6, 2009, which is from season five. Uh, Ben summarizes from that podcast. Solitary and Raised by Another were apparently originally intended to air in the opposite order. The episodes had to be rewritten to move events from one episode to the other when it became apparent that switching them made more narrative sense. As a result of this, they were filmed in reverse order, even though by the time of filming, the decision to flip them had been made. In an interview on John, Jay, and Rich, which is now seemingly lost to time, Jorge Garcia expressed a belief that this was because it would have been strange for Charlie to have, hap- to, to have been happily playing golf after Claire was kidnapped. Uh, other impacts include Danielle's reference to the others ends up predating our knowledge of whether there actually are others. Ethan is first revealed in the same episode as Sullivan, and he is not revealed to be anything more than another background survivor. Uh, ben wants us to meditate on whether or not the show is better off for making this switch, and I think inarguably yes. Well, uh, raised, raised by another playing before Solitary would have been massively weird. Mike. Yeah, but I also wonder... At what point did they determine it would be switched back? Because you'd have to imagine, like, it wouldn't make logical sense, as is what's pointed out here, for us to be introduced to Ethan an episode after he kidnaps Claire. You know? So I wonder right. if they had events written out in chronological order, and then once they figured out the order of episodes, attributed the events to those episodes. Because otherwise, it doesn't make a damn lick of sense. And I, I love that most appropriately, that Charlie would lose, you know, his crush to being kidnapped and also gets hung from a tree and then afterwards it's like la dee 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 playing off la dee doo pickles it wouldn't have made any sense yeah it would not have made any sense whatsoever but i guess if we're counting the other events going on like if we make it just flashback basic between claire and saeed's stories i still like saeed's first i i really like having solitary fo- follow up immediately from confidence man considering how dark and the extent that we see saeed go to in confidence man i feel like we need immediate follow-up from that if we take an episode to take a break from it it doesn't make sense and we'll see in this next episode that we're gonna get a bit of a break from saeed you know he's only gonna come at the end to tell everybody like hey you won't believe the journey that i went on uh so i think that switching those as well would just it it would not work out well in terms of timing no, it was perfect the way that it was. I'm glad that they that, that I'm, it's perfect the way that it is at the very least. Uh, other number four from Ben Martell uh, is we talked about how this is a big mythological turning point, but also from a production reality standpoint, uh, this episode and paired with Raised by Another, um, also very very key to the developing relationship with ABC. And Ben cites a Vox interview with Damon. Lindelof, Ben writes, the stories for Raised by Another and Solitary were just going into production when the pilot aired. Because the writer's room was slightly behind, they had split into two rooms to break the episodes, and the events are happening simultaneously, which is why the two episodes play something like a two-parter. Because the ratings would be coming in before filming started on the episodes, the writers felt that they had the opportunity to write in some bigger swings and mythological beats, hoping that the ratings were strong enough that they could convince ABC to let them follow through. The ratings came in, and they were strong. So the writers first presented Raised by Another, and 
said, feeling as though the high ratings gave room to the writers to try stuff, though, ABC was more afraid of, cha- of, of change in case it ruined the great ratings. They were very afraid of the concept of Ethan and the others taking the focus away from the group that the people had come to love and of the possibility of Malkin's psychic powers being presented as real. I can't wait to talk about Malkin oh, next gosh. Week, by the way. I know. Uh, More from Ben. This was only furthered when Solitary was submitted. ABC wanted the reveal of Danielle to be left until the finale, and they were concerned that answers were being given too often. (laughs) And that too many new people. And that too many people. Right, that we're talking about. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And that too many new people were showing up at once on the island. The writers ultimately got their way on including Danielle and Ethan and Richard Malkin in the next episode. And in the words of Damon Lindelof, contrary to popular belief, we as writers were really wanting to answer mysteries as we went along. Uh, That's so fascinating to me. and that's what we we had talked about at the very, 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 very beginning of the Down the Hatch adventures. Like you have to like consider how difficult this show must have been to make. Uh, there's so many competing interests, uh, and the writers get a lot of flack for like going too slowly. Uh, but I really do fully buy that there were ton- tons of moments along the way where they wanted to pick up the pace uh, at a, at a rate that the network itself was not comfortable. I wonder. Obviously, a lot of things would have changed if a Danielle Russo reveal would have been in the finale. I wonder what sort of impact that would have made because, I mean, I cannot wait to get to Exodus. That's an episode that both you and I love. And there's so much going in there that having a Russo reveal on top of all that might have just been a bridge too far. One too many pickles in the jar. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think like I think like having her show up and then like how does that like, uh, you know, does that thin the reveal of Mr. Friendly and the others there? I think it probably does. Um, so, yeah, I'm again. I'm not quibbling with the way that this is played out. I think the way that it's played out is great. Uh, other number five, once again from Ben Martell. Uh, it, would, it would appear that there was one mythological reveal that was cut for this episode. And this comes from an interview with the writer David Fury that he gave to Lostpedia. Uh, and according to David Fury, Solitary was originally going to include a line that would reveal that Danielle Russo's expedition came to the island to research time oh time abc vetoed well i guess that makes Mm -hmm. i mean makes sense the initial name of uh, Rousseau's science game was gonna be russie and the blowfish and their hit song time (laughs) i am going to leave the podcast now (laughs) (laughs) it's just too far too far wow it took us Uh, nine episodes but i think i finally found your breaking point (laughs) russie and the blowfish (laughs) mike Rusi and the Blowfish. Yep, I think uh, I think we found. A, if someone wants to put in a Lindel okay. off, I just set you up right there. Spike that ball promptly in our faces, people. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but look, they 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 they, uh, they wanted time travel uh, as early on as uh, episode nine of season one. Uh, so that's cool. That would have been fun. But I think again, slow play this stuff. Yeah, this cool I, I think that I agree that I think including including time travel in the first season would have been way, way too much. It was too much when they were doing it in seasons four and five. I think season one would have just been serving us way too much at once. 
Yeah. Um, other number six is a trio of interviews with newcomers to the Lost Mythos as of Solitary. And I don't think we need to do terribly deep dives, but we will just point to the fact that um, these interviews, we are linking to them in our show notes. Of course, it's an interview with Mira Furlan, who's talking about how she wanted to play Danielle. She, as an actress, she is Croatian, playing the French woman, Danielle Rousseau. She wanted to play the soft, vulnerable, sensitive, despaired side of Rousseau, feeling that the tough survivalist side would be an obvious approach. I think that that is very clear in the way she plays the character. Uh, William Mapather, who is introduced in this episode as Ethan, according to an interview he did with The Hatch, a Lost podcast by Rosie Murphy and Sammy Roth. He did not have to audition. J.J. Abrams had seen his work already, perhaps even knew who his cousin was. Yeah. Uh, That is neither confirmed nor denied, uh, and asked him specifically to play Ethan. Uh, and then the third interview we are referencing is with Andrea Gabriel, who uh, is, uh, she appeared on Poster Recaps. How about that? Talk about Inception once again, rears its head. Yes, an interview that I did with her back in the day alongside Joe Garfine. Uh, it was, uh, I believe, one of the, the last podcasts that we did in the original run of Lost Lives when we were doing the original celebration uh, of the 10-year anniversary of the series premiere. Uh, The original plan was we were just going to keep going and we were going to be talking about all of these different episodes on their 10-year anniversaries. Uh, And we lost the plot on that uh, shortly shortly into the run. Uh, Solitary was the last one that we were able to, to hit in a fairly consecutive way. And I think it wasn't until Exodus when you and I got on the line, Mike, uh, to talk about it again. This is my memory. I'm not going off of anything right now. Uh, but there was a 10 years later solitary podcast that we did on Post Show Recaps. And Joe Garfine and I got Andrea on the line. Uh, and she talked a lot about the casting process and auditioning for this part. And um, uh, even like auditioning alongside other people who were auditioning for Rousseau. Uh, so definitely an interesting interview and time capsule type stuff to, to check out. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, check out some vintage 2015 Wiggler. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Other number seven, some other production notes. Uh, Ben Martell notes that this is around the time that Carlton Cuse joined Lost. We're going to talk a little bit more about Hmm. why that happened uh, a few weeks from now, uh, that this is probably not the best time to talk about it. Uh, But this is the best time to talk about the fact that Nadine Andrews was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actor for his work in Solitary and The Greater Good. I think when you think about like who got nominated for what when it comes to Lost, it is often lost to time that Naveen Andrews, such a spectacular actor, was indeed nominated for his work as Saeed Jarrah. Uh, and I think like Locke, you know, Terry O'Quinn is, a, is an easy nominee. He'd been nominated uh, before. Uh, Michael Emerson's going to come along and have some of that energy as well. Uh, but at least in the early days of Lost... Uh, the Emmy voters were recognizing that Navy Andrews was indeed a top-shelf MVP where it comes to the acting of Lost. Other number eight, the philosophy of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Of course, Lost loves to name characters after titans in the, the philosophical universe. Uh, Rousseau is no exception, but we have not talked about the philosophy of Rousseau before, so it is only fitting that with the arrival of Rousseau, we talk about Danielle Rousseau's namesake. Ben Martell notes that this is a simplified version of the philosopher's views of life, but it's worth sharing since they directly tie into what is happening on the show. Rousseau's view was that the ideal state of living 
was to live alone uh, or in small Jack, family Jack groups. feels just triggered right now. Triggered, triggered. Uh, or to, to, to live alone or in small family groups in the wilderness entirely self-sufficient. This ideal state is essentially reflected in the living conditions of Danielle. It parallels the philosophy Sawyer expressed in Tabula Rasa. <laughs> He's in the wild. Uh, however... Rousseau also recognized that his ideal state was no longer achievable in his modern world, so he came up with the idea of the social contract, building on the philosophy of others, including, wait for it, John Locke. Social contract is the concept that all members of society have chosen to give up some of their rights and freedoms to the collective in order to best preserve the remainder of their rights. Sovereignty is to rest in the collective instead of the one ruler. Every person must have a voice, but all must follow the ultimate will of the collective. When the will is broken, the person breaking it is exiled. This is more like the live-together, die-alone philosophy of Jack, with Saeed sending himself into exile for breaking what he saw as a fundamental rule. The concept of social contract is an underlying part of modern democracy today, partially because of the philosophy of Rousseau. Well, Rousseau says every person should be heard, and Rousseau's been hearing people for a while now. <laughs> for quite some time. For quite some time. Um, all right, let's get into some more feedback about solitary, shall we? Uh, and I think it is time to talk about the end. Uh, people, obviously, they are using this as an opportunity to get into the Nadia and Shannon of it all. Uh, very fairly, we started dabbling in that ourselves. But let's take a couple of different perspectives. We've got two people who wrote in with a case for Nadia and a case for Shannon. Ooh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the case for Nadia first, then I'm going to read the case for Shannon, and then we can weigh in. You ready? Oh, yeah. All right, this is from Nathan Curry, who writes in favor of Nadia. Is it too early to start complaining about Saeed and Shannon? I hate to channel the Lost Bible, but... Come on! They do... It was written in all caps. Uh, they do such a fantastic job of building Saeed's character around this pivotal event involving his true love, Nadia. And we later learn the reason he's on Oceanic Flight 815 is to reunite with her after years apart. But two weeks in the jungle of mystery is enough to make a move on the spoiled, snobby chick that he has nothing in common with? Uh, that's Nathan's take in favor of Nadia. Now, this is Daniel Brennan's take in favor of of Shannon. Daniel writes, it's not crazy that Saeed ends up with Shannon in the flash sideways. Saeed and Nadia were friends when they were children, spent a month together as torturer and prisoner, and then some amount of time post-Oceanic 6. As far as I understand, he fell in love with her while she was a prisoner, while she had a crush on him when they were kids. They had a genuine relationship prior to her murder, but that was the first time they had spent any significant amount of time together in a relationship. Obviously, Nadia made a significant impact on Saeed during the flashback featured in Solitary, to the extent that he continued to carry that picture with him for the next several years. I believe he doesn't get the picture of her until uh, he goes to Australia for the operation. That, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, Daniel continues. He loved her, but their relationship was not actualized until after he returned to the mainland. In the meantime, he fell in love with Shannon on the island. As Christian explains in the end... The castaways spent the most important moments of their lives together on the island. Saeed was able to bring the best out of Shannon, and Saeed was simultaneously happy and in love for maybe the first time in his life. 
Having heard these two arguments, Mike Bloom, are you swayed one way or the other? Well, look, I love me some gregarious dialogue. So, I'm, you know, Daniel, I think, presents a good case. I don't know. Maybe it's just because, like, I just feel bad for Nadia and I feel less bad for Shannon. I think that's really why there's a lot of umbrage taken is because Shannon is not portrayed in the best light. Whereas Nadia, I, there are no bad qualities from the limited capacity that we see her in. So it's like, yes, and Saeed chooses to get with the more troubled character than the one who really doesn't have many faults is a weird way to end that character, though. I mean, that's also a way to describe season six Saeed. It's just a weird way to end the character. I think that Daniel makes an interesting point about how we do we do have to be reminded that the most important time that these people spent was on the island. And so you could imagine that, oh, yes, yeah, so we're associating, you know, Basically, whoever people met on the island is going to be the most important people in each other's lives. It's just, it feels like the most extreme case of, like, blatantly leaving behind everything from your outside life to embrace what happened on the island. And it can be a tougher pill to swallow with something like Saeed and Shannon. Yeah, I think um, if if you view it from the lens that, like, this is, like, the part of them that had touched the island that's moving on together, and, like, if you if you view it from the perspective of, like, the soul is deep and the soul goes through a lot and it's not just the flash sideways that we're seeing that is a part of them, but there's other aspects of their lives that are great and rich that are probably being tested as well. I'm not so mad at it. I'm also just not that mad at it anymore, I guess, because uh, I, I just kind of view this stuff as, like, uh, like final bonus crucibles. Like the the Flash Sideways is like the bonus podcast of Down the Hatch. Mm-hmm. Like you know, f- fun and enjoyable if you can enjoy it as like separate entities, but not necessarily supremely essential. All right, if, if our show goes narrative. over five seasons, then we'll have to spin the wheel and come up with our own RPG for the sixth season. Yeah, well, I think probably right. Uh, I think that's actually probably true. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'm less mad about it now than I was back in the day. I, th- I, I thought that the idea that in this episode that Saeed like actively says, like my love for Nadia is blinding me from the ability to like actually move on and like pursue a peaceful life. Um, not that he hadn't tried before, but like, he's like, you know, he's not bonding with people around him anymore because he keeps waiting for this person who may or may not even exist anymore. Um, he's like still chasing that ghost. Uh, and like, if it's less about the fact that like Shannon's his forever lover, you know, if it's less about that and it's more that like the love of somebody on the Island where he like spent all of this time with tons of other people he loved platonically, um, if that like wakes him up to remind him of the time that he was like a good and noble person and did heroic things, um, I think I'd just find it a little less problematic. Mm. Um, but if you're mad about it, you can still be very mad about it. Sometimes I'm really mad about it. Today, I guess I'm just not. Uh, I, I wish I could be more fired up because it'd be better. You've moved I'm, on as well. Uh, for the for the time being. But as I've noted, I constantly this is changing for me. Um, all right. Uh, other number 10. Uh, Scott Ring writes about the back of Nadia's photo. Uh, Scott writes, how perfectly poetic in the grand scheme of the show. To have Nadia's encryption on the photo say, you will find me in the next life, if not in this one. Knowing that someday, she and Saeed will be reunited in the afterlife together. Because she is Saeed's true love, you see. And the show clearly is aware of that. And this, this early season one episode, perfectly sets up a romantic payoff for them both. 
five seasons from now. Okay, Scott, I'm a little triggered. I'm a little, I'm, oh, no, I'm you're back to being triggered. The, what happened to Zen Josh? See? That went away instantly over the course of one other. It changes. It changes. Let's talk about Rousseau. Other number 11, uh, Phoebe Nugent writes in, I know this episode is Saeed's backstory, but it also introduces us to one of my top five favorite characters of Lost, Danielle Russo. Oh. She wasn't as interesting to me as a first-time viewer in college. She was just a random lady who hung out in the jungle and seemed crazy. I had a baby this summer, and it's crazy how my view of her changed. All of a sudden, I admire her. I'm intrigued by her story, and I see her in a whole new light. She has survived 16 years alone on the island. She managed to kill her baby's father when he went crazy and somehow avoided going insane like Claire or any normal person would. I did think she was crazy the first time I watched Lost. However, as a mother, if I thought someone kidnapped my baby, I too would tie them down and electrocute them until they told me where he was. I'm sure as a father, Mike could confirm. Uh, Bloom, does that check out? Yeah, actually, and that sort of goes back to why, you know, the agenda for me that Danielle Russo is not crazy was very recent. I very much sympathize and agree with Phoebe here, where watching this through the eyes of a parent, and yes, it was 16 years ago, and I believe it was like one week after the baby was born that the baby was kidnapped, but that sounds like such a traumatic and frightening experience. I watched the scene briefly in watching Jim Fell's analysis of this episode of Ben going in and taking the baby, and my heart just ripped. And Because you can't help, especially as a new parent with newborns, but project yourself and see like how emotionally retching it must be to be in that role. And so I, I still maintain the fact, and I totally agree here, that like I think comparing her to Claire is great. And this is also a rat reasoning as to why she doesn't succumb to quote-unquote the sickness, in that when you see Claire end up succumbing to the sickness, she is off her rocker. She is nursing a skull, thinking it is her son. Rousseau never went in that direction. Is she a bit of a bunker buddy? Yes. Is she very wary of anyone that she runs into? Absolutely. Is she a little clingy when the one person who seems to show her, you know, some some form of trust or good nature in 16 years, uh, you know, ends up falling into her lap? Totally. That is not science to me of a crazy character. It's a science to me of someone who has been through the ringer for a decade plus and is simultaneously hardened yet soft in the middle as a result. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't had a child, so I, I don't I, I don't relate to Russo as a parent yet, but I, I have to trust the experts here. And if you and Phoebe are saying that, then, um, you know, that's something that I'll try and, and look at her a little bit more. I guess there's so many different characters on Lost that I haven't spent a ton of time um, really digging down and trying to evaluate Russo. Uh, only to the point that, like, when you said earlier that the show kind of does Russo dirty, um, I actually really love the way that the show oh, does Russo. I really think it's great. I, and maybe now is not the right time to, uh, to <laughs> we get have, We have about, a, about a couple, a year and a half to get to the beginning of season we, we've four. We've got time. We've got time. But, yeah, when we get there, I'll, I'll talk about why I really, really love that. I didn't love it at the time. Uh, I was very mystified by it at the time, but at the time, I didn't realize that time travel was going to be a thing. Uh, so that ended up helping things out a little bit. Yeah, you call you um, kill off the main singer of Rusi and the Blowfish before they end up time traveling. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Other number 12 is Ethan playing dumb. Stefan Johnson writes in, shouldn't Ethan recognize Locke? He shot him a few years ago when the Beechcraft crashed. Can we retcon this to make sense? Yes, Stefan, I believe we can because we just don't get Ethan's perspective on any of this. But I'm sure if there were deleted scenes of Ethan and Locke walking around in the jungle, Ethan is asking Locke all kinds of probing questions because he's deeply fascinated with him because he's like, I shot you in the leg once. You're a time traveler, dude. Uh, you know, probably trying to be like, uh, do you remember any of that? Like, you know, like just like gently prodding at the issue, uh, and probably having to like report back to Richard Alpert at some point, like, yeah, dude. So this is like time travel thing is definitely legit. Yeah. And then Richard says, uh, oh yeah, I should probably tell you something about the woman who delivered you one day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, other number 13, Scott French writes in, this is crazy. Uh, apparently Sullivan, the annoying hypochondriac was candidate number one. On Jacob's lighthouse wheel. What a letdown it must have been if Jacob actually made any attempt to rank the candidates and if Rash Guy was his top pick. If we're tracking any evidence that Jacob wasn't a great protector of the island, let this be Exhibit A. Uh, wow, Sullivan, number one on the leaderboard. Well, I wonder if they were just like, it wasn't in order. It was just like, all right, come up with a list of people. And you know how maybe it was just sort of superfluous. Like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that guy. Sullivan, but I wonder then, could the smoke monster be the golf ball that hit Sullivan off camera and <laughs> killed him? Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, definitely uh, not outside of the realm of possibility. What would Sullivan have to have like done in his life to track on Jacob's radar as somebody who would be worthy of protecting the island? Well, I think uh, is he just like one of those rich idiots who golfs? Is that what the deal is? I think is? being a hypochondriac, as weird as it's to say, does have its benefits in that you have you're very detail oriented. <laughs> you pay attention to everything that goes on, and maybe you pay a little bit too much attention. But maybe he valued that that capacity. You know, he said, "Listen, you're going to pay attention to all the, the you know the day to day stuff. You're going to keep make sure that everything's in line, so no, nobody's out of step here on the island." Maybe this guy was like, I don't know. Maybe this guy like worked for NASA, and so he knew that like any wrong number could be the difference between life or death for astronauts. And so uh, I don't know. Maybe he was flying back from Australia to field an interview for their space program when he ends up crashing on the island. Okay, I like it. Canon, canon until proven otherwise. Uh, other number fourteen, a roundup of stuff. Uh, of course, uh, there's Jim Fells' great video series of exploring the themes and the music of Lost. Mike, did you get a chance to check it out this yeah, week? Yeah, absolutely. It introduces uh, a Saeed theme that's going to recur, though it's going to notably get a lot darker once poor Naughty is killed. Say what you want to about the Naughty versus Shannon of it all, but I do believe that Nadia's murder does have a significant effect on Saeed, both off and on island. Uh, they also talk about the Saeed the and Nadia theme, which I don't believe makes it out of this episode. Uh, and we also introduced to the Danielle Rousseau theme, which is so much fun because it is so manic and all over the place in true Rousseau fashion. So Jim Fells doing the Lord's work as per usual and underlining some fantastic work from Michael Giacchino. Uh, some other fantastic content creation, again, coming from Sammy Kappa, who we already shouted out in this podcast. If you are not following her on social media, strongly recommend you do at Sammy Kappa. Uh, she is drawing characters from Lost and has tweeted out her illustration of Matthew Fox as Dr. Jack Shepard. Sammy notes that Matthew Fox has a fantastic nose to draw. 
Uh, I'm not an illustrator, so I have no idea, but I trust that uh, hmm. sentiment coming from I'm Sammy. I'm very intrigued to hear from Sammy as someone who has a very large schnoz himself, if that's a good or a bad thing from an illustrator's perspective. <laughs> as an artist, yeah, I like, guess. Am I, am like, am I an artist's dream or worst nightmare? I would go with dream would be my bet. I would hope so, but... You never know. I, 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 you always wonder if like some of your features. That's why I don't get caricatures done. Is because they really like to highlight some of the worst parts of you. I know. I heard. I heard you talking with Liana and Nicole about this. Uh, it's not not a not a great deal. I agree with you. Um, so, certainly as somebody who's flawless looking, this isn't an issue for me. But uh, I'm glad you have you sympathy, know, for, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I love this illustration of Jack, oh, though. Yeah. It's like a side profile, and he's just like kind of like looking like a lot sadder than he would ever like let anybody else uh, normally see. Uh, she also the way that she draws facial hair is amazing. Yeah, he's got a, he's, he's got uh, like a little bit of stubble effects. going on. He's so much so that like he has that weird sort of like like I call them ghost sideburns. They're like when your sideburn yes. hair grows in, but it's not completely full to blend in with the rest of your hair, like. Whispers of sideburns, yeah, exactly. Sideburn whispers, uh, just sort of hanging out there, uh, apparent at all times. And she also draws like she's drawing the furrowed brow, she's got a little bit of wrinkles going on around the eyes. It's very detailed, very well done. Awesome work by Sammy, as per usual. And I cannot wait to see what else she might be working on in the many many weeks to come on down the hatch this is it's a it's an awesome way to be charting the the lost adventure so follow sammy she's drawing the characters from lost as she's discovering the show for the first time obviously in a very spoiler filled way because she's listening to the podcast we're talking about deep 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 spoilers at this point uh but look if that works for you uh certainly what you're doing works for us so this is great um final other how about this how about an announcement mike um I have a I have a declaration to make. This is me as Hurley coming to the the sprawling space on the island and revealing a golf tournament. That is what I am here to do today. Uh, I am going to Lost Twenty Twenty, <gasps> Lost Twenty Twenty, the Lost Con, which is a convention uh, that takes place in Oahu uh, from May twenty first to May. 24th. Uh, some of you may already know about the Lost Con. Some of you may be hearing about it for the first time. For those people, Lost is celebrating the 10th anniversary of its series finale in May 2020, and there's going to be a big celebration out in Hawaii for the event, and several people in the Lost fandom are flying out for it. Some cast members have been announced as participants, including Nestor Carbonell, a.k.a. Richard Alpert, Daniel Roebuck, a.k.a. Dr. Leslie Arst, and Andrew Devoff, a.k.a. Mikhail Bakunin. Joe Garfine is going to be out there. She's going to be doing some great work with the Cancer Gets Lost uh, organization. There will be a great auction out there. There's also going to be a panel called The Legacy of Lost, which I am participating in. I'm hoping... I'm hoping to find ways to do a Down the Hatch podcast live while there. Uh, it's, it's TBD on how that will work out. But go and check it out. Go look up the Lost Con 2020. The link is in the show notes. Obviously, getting out to Hawaii is not a nothing deal. It is a to-do. I have been to Oahu. I've gone on filming uh, location tours of the various different sites that Lost was filmed at. It's mesmerizing. Uh, Kualoa Ranch, one of the great sites where Lost was filmed. 
And in fact, uh, you, you saw uh, Kualoa in this very episode, Hurley's Golf Course, uh, in that great, great valley. Uh, that is going to be... Um, Part of the of the Lost Con, there's going to be a screening of the pilot there, uh, very close to Hurley's Golf Course. I don't believe it is exactly on Hurley's Golf Course, but not far away, out in the open air, they are going to be screening the two part pilot. They're also going to be screening the Lost Finale at Sacred Hearts Academy, which is where the final scene of Lost took place. Oh That's the God. church. It's the Flash Sideways Church. So it's going to be a really exciting weekend uh, for for Lost fans. And I'm so stoked to go. Uh, May 21st to May 24th is when it's going to be. If you you live in Hawaii, if you uh, live close enough that getting to Hawaii is not as hard for you as it may be for others, or if you're thinking about uh, where you want to go next year, if you've been thinking about taking a big trip, and if you've been enjoying the Lost podcast, I'm going to be there, and my wife will be there with me, and it's going to be a blast, and we cannot wait, and whoever is listening to this that is either going to be attending or is now thinking about attending, we cannot wait to meet you. It's going to be just an utter delight. I've heard nothing but rave reviews about this event from the people that I know who have been in the past. I think this is going to be the third time uh, that they have done a Lost Con out there, and everybody seems to love it. They have like tattoo contests. Uh, there's like costume contests and stuff like that. Uh, so it seems like a really, really great way to get the lost community spirit in person. Uh, so if down the hatch has been doing that for you in audio form, this is the flesh and blood boots on the ground version of that nostalgic feeling. So I personally cannot wait to go. I'm very excited to announce that I will be participating and I hope to see it. Yes, I am simultaneously ecstatic and jealous of you getting to do that. I think unfortunately, uh, due to my new familial circumstances combined with some other travel I think I have planned for earlier that year, uh, we'll probably not be able to make the trip to Hawaii, but I'm so excited to hear about what your journey is out there, especially, my God, screening the finale in the church. That is just have to, you just have to, it's gonna be exciting. You have to sit there and realize like you're sitting in the same pews that those actors were not only when they f- finished off Lost, but when they finished off such a huge project in all of their lives. Like the emotion probably is seeping through the wood there. I, I cannot wait to hear all about it. I'm sure you don't know off the top of your head how that corresponds in terms of timing to what episode we'll be on, but it should be interesting regardless. Uh, off the top of my head, no, but if you filibuster for a minute, I could let you know. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe we can do that. If we want to move on from the others, uh, I can start talking about the 23 points. Season 2, episode 16. Season 2, episode 16. Uh, what episode is season 2, episode 16 of Lost? If you are like shouting it into the into the phone right now, you're like, hey, you idiot, how do you not know which it one is this? It is the whole truth. Oh, it's a Quan episode. The whole truth. It's a Quan episode. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm really, really excited. Um, there will be, whether we do a live down the hatch from uh, the location, or I come back with some sort of like first one out style Lost <laughs> podcast uh, is, is the other thing that I've been thinking first about. First one but, down the hatch. Uh, this, yes, this, this trip will be beneficial uh, for, your, for your podcast listening pleasure at the very, very least. I'm really, really pumped for it. Um, but let's get into 23 points. Uh, let's, let's start giving out some points. Mike, this week you were giving out two MVP points. Uh, I'm giving out three MVP points. Then I'm giving out two LVP points. And Mike, you are giving out three. Kate remains in the lead. There is a three-way tie for second place between Sun, Locke, and Jack. Uh, and Saeed and the Monster Man in the bronze 
at two apiece and bringing up the rear all the way in the back. Negative four points for James Sawyer Ford. Uh, Let's see how things shake out. And I think right off the top, uh, first story of the week is that Saeed is going to be breaking into that second place tier uh, because he's getting my first MVP point. Yeah, totally understandable. I think great episode for him. A great episode for his character as well. It's really interesting to see, especially, uh, you know, since we were so entrenched in the the war in Iraq and as the series Bible referred to, uh, you know, the fall of Saddam Hussein had only just come a year before that. So to see that side of somebody who works, you know, uh, entrenched within the, the Iraq army is a really interesting perspective that I think was so new for television. Even in a, in a world that gave us 24, I think it's a brand new way to view that type of world conflict. So I really appreciate the character as well and seeing those humanistic sides to even the work that he did. I'm going to give a point to Danielle Rousseau. Uh, as I talked about, I gained a newfound appreciation and viewpoint for this character, and I think it's a hell of a debut episode. So uh, let me actually... I'm going to give Danielle Rousseau an MVP point. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so, I'm so happy that you Thank did. you. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, I don't think we need to even elaborate on why. I think she is more than worthy of the point. Uh, I'm going to give, and believe it or not, the first point uh, for this character through uh, the this stage of the Lost Game. Uh, Hurley Hugo Race getting his first MVP point from me, from anybody here in the 23-point section. Uh, early signs of the, of the protector of the island, Hurley Reyes. Uh, does such a great job with the island tournament and lifting everybody's spirits uh, that, of course, he has to get a point. Hurley sign or Hurley sign? Both. Perfect. I'm going to get... The Hurley bird catches the worm. Uh, or it catches whatever, Hurley, depending on what it's screaming. Uh, I'm going to give a point to Nadia. This is not the last time we're going to see her, but I cannot say enough about how much of a stone-cold badass she was being interrogated so many times, but not giving up the goat, not indulging in any sort of information that the Republican Guard wanted her to do. And she was able to escape with said information. That's very admirable. And she's able to touch upon a part of Saeed and bring out a part of himself that he might have lost working in the Republican Guard. And of course, Andre Gabriel does a fantastic job as well. Um, all right. So I have a third MVP point, And my original plan was to give this to Sawyer because like he shows up to the golf tournament and is a good dude and puts everything out on the line. But like part of me still feels like I'm just like trying to give Sawyer a point to give Sawyer a point at this point. Yeah, uh, as, as so he I, would I want say, a mulligan. Well, don't you feel sorry? I want a mulligan on this. I want a mulligan on this. I'm not going to give Sawyer an MVP point. I'm just going to give another point to Saeed. I think he deserves <laughs> book and to Saeed a- points. You know, I think that this is a great episode for Saeed. I think Naveen Andrews is just so, so freaking good. Uh, I think that certainly, like, there are going to be times along the way here on Lost where the Saeed story is going to get a little wobbledy, wobbledy, wop. Uh, But I think at this point, it's so sturdy, it's so steady, and Naveen Andrews is fantastic uh, that he just, he's earned two points. Saeed performs so well under pressure. Uh, He saves Nadia. Uh, So this is a man who deserves... Uh, two points for his flashback episode, which means that not only uh, did Saeed get into second place, he actually busted a tier. Wow. Uh, Kate is in the lead with six points. Saeed has four. So now he is the second place leader. And the bronze is a three-way tie right now with Jack, Locke, and Son. Well, speaking of LVP points, let's turn to a man who knows something about sturdiness. 
Michael, <laughs> Michael, just uh, for that scene alone of you choosing golf over your son. And yes, I'm still putting it that bluntly. LVP point for you, sir, please. 100%. Absolutely. Very, very easy. Um, I guess uh, Omar, uh, Saeed's officer, superior officer, he dies in this episode. And it is my tradition to take a point away from people for dying uh, on an episode of Lost. So Omar is a negative one. Uh, on that note, I'm going to give a negative one to uh, the crew, to the blowfish for <laughs> dying and also f- the French team, and also yeah. for driving poor, poor Russo to do something that's going to send her in an underground bunker scavenging for food for the next 16 years of her life. And there'll be an opportunity to give it out, uh, you know, several seasons down the line when we actually get to meet them. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you gotta take a point away from Sullivan, the rash man, the rash hole. Uh, he definitely gets a point knocked for my second of two LVP points that I'm allowed to award. And because we have now made it canon that he died after this episode, we have to give him another one as well. Sorry, it's just the rules. We have to abide (laughs) by the rules here on Down the Hatch, because otherwise, what are we? What are we indeed? So you can see the full list of the 23 points uh, in uh, certainly our our lost wiki page, but also in your show notes. Uh, We have that listed out. Let's get on to 4.2 stars. These are our episode rankings. The way it works is I give a score on a scale of 0 to 4.2. Mike does the same thing. We average the audience scores. So you send us your scores. We average all of those together. Then we average these three different data points. The Wiggler score, the Bloom score, the audience score for a final fourth score. And that is how we are ranking the episodes of Lost. Season 1 remains a flexible document throughout Season one. So keep sending your ratings in at down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Um, no surprise that Solitary does quite well here. Uh, Mike and I are both higher on this than the audience score, I believe, which was a 3.6 as it currently stands, at least. But I gave Solitary a solid 4 out of 4.2. It moves the ball forward. It's a highly mythological episode of Lost with a really, really strong central performance and a really fun side story. This is not quite God-tier Lost for me, but it's damn close. I mean, this is... I call it demigod-tier, personally, because I gave it a 4.1! I love this episode, and maybe it's it's partially burgeoned by the fact that I keep forgetting that I love this episode. Maybe I've been given some sort of serum that I keep getting sedated and forget about this episode, but there's so much good stuff here. It establishes so much that's going to be key to the mythos in a way that doesn't just feel like a big information dump. It's tied into the character of Rousseau. I feel like Daniel Rousseau's introduction is so heavily layered, so complicated, and so interesting the Saeed flashback is so well done and lets us see a completely new light on this character that he's even going to take to the island as well. And we have, in my opinion, one of the best B-plots in Lost history. If that does not make a near-perfect episode of Lost, I don't know what does. Yeah, and so the audience score right now is at a 3.6. I wonder if that'll rise after this episode, but it brings us to a 3.9 for the episode for the official Down the Hatch average as it stands. So these are the rankings currently from least to best. Uh, In eighth place, it's The Moth with 3.03. In seventh place, it's Taboo 
Casa with 3.4. In sixth place, it's Confidence Man with 3.46. In fifth place, it's House of the Rising Sun with 3.61. Fourth place, Lucky Number, Solitary, 3.9. In third place, White Rabbit, 3.98. In second place, it's the two-part pilot, 4.15. And in first place, just edging out the pilot at 4.16. Walkabout is the current title holder for best episode of Lost through eight episodes to discuss. Wow. Yeah, Solitary, it's... I mean, I, I love the episode, but it's really tough to beat those top three. So the fact that it's even that close to White Rabbit is a great sign. I don't know. I feel like if we're looking at the rest of season one, it's going to be tough to break that Mount Rushmore until we get to Exodus of those top four episodes. I feel like numbers... I don't want to skew the, the numbers, but I feel like numbers might get there in terms of that's another big character-heavy episode that really moves the mythos of the island along. But... I mean, it, it's going to be tough to top where we go from here. Yeah, but there's some really good ones coming up. I don't think that Raised by Another is going to challenge that top three or even the top four next week. But we're getting into all the best Cowboys have daddy issues pretty soon. And that is a phenomenal episode of Lost. Uh, and then we're getting into whatever the case may be, which is going to be right at the bottom like a rock for a very long time, uh, deservedly. So speaking of Raised by Another, that is what we are talking about next week on Down the Hatch. That podcast is dropping on October 18th. Get your feedback in by October 15th, the morning at the very latest uh, idea. Ideally, October 14th, uh, that evening, would be even better. There are plenty of ways that you can send in your feedback. You can email us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet at us. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. And of course, our Post Show Recaps Twitter account at Post Show Recaps. Subscribe if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews greatly, tremendously appreciated as we bring others to the island to listen to Down the Hatch. Mike Bloom, anything else? I don't know. I'm no Richard Malkin, but I feel like we're going to have a fun podcast next week. It's always a fun podcast here on Down the Hatch and lots of other podcasting happening here on Post Show Recaps. The Walking Dead Season 10 has begun. Jessica Lee and I are talking about that. Succession is getting close to the end of the line. Emily Fox and I are talking about that. And Mr. Robot is on its final road towards the end of the line as well. Antonio Mazzaro and I are talking about that. Uh, so Post Show Recaps is the place to be right now. If you're not subscribed to the main Post Show Recaps feed or all of the show-specific feeds to catch those different shows, I strongly suggest you do so. Uh, and on that note, Mike Bloom, let's close out. We'll be back next week talking raised by another. Take care, everybody. A goodbye. Four, eight, 15, 16,